0: Hello ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the polarizer podcast and happy new year to you all 2021 is here and 2020 is behind us, which I think pretty much everyone's happy about The one cool thing about the year was that uh, most, it was the best year for the podcast so far So that's, uh, that's at least one good thing And I got a dog, which is quite nice too Some, uh, some extra life in the house, which is always good I'm sure he'll make an appearance in uh, one of the future episodes, too, as he wanders around and uh, shows up at random times. So that'll be fun to have uh, in the video. And I also have an announcement. The podcast has moved to a different website. You will now find it at diederik.blog. That's D-I-E-D-E-R-I-K dot blog. And I decided to do this because... On my personal website, I have my photography and my writing and other projects I'm working on. And the Polarizer had its own website. Well, it makes more sense to pull them together into one place since I then only have one website to maintain instead of two. And there's, there's a good crossover between the audience for my writing and photography and the podcast. So you'll find everything there. Everything's still the same. And all the show notes are there and all the information. And, of course, the podcast is still free to listen to on your favorite podcast platform and also on YouTube. I've been adding video to the podcast recently, too, so you can check it out on YouTube. Link is also on dederick.blog for every episode. And when you're there, sign up for the newsletter so you never miss an episode. I'll send an email every time a new episode drops. And now for the sponsors of the show first one is Alert. Alert is an iPhone app that generates dynamic allergy cards for people who travel. There's not a whole lot of traveling going on right now but once this COVID uh, shit is over and I'm sure it will be over one day hopefully this year that would be nice wouldn't it. Let's say you travel to a place where you don't speak the language and you are allergic to dairy or peanuts or or any of the 14 most common ones you can use this app to generate a dynamic allergy card so you first select what you're allergic to then you can even also select a vegetarian diet if if that's your lifestyle and then you pick one of the 44 different languages that the app supports and if you press the button it generates a message in the language that you choose it's very handy if you're allergic and you are in a country where people don't speak the language. So that's Alert, A-L-L-E-R-T, on the iOS App Store. And this episode is also brought to you by Amazon. Go to Diederik.blog and click on the Amazon button on the the podcast page. And you will go to Amazon, just like you always do. And if you place an order, I will get a little kickback from that order. And it comes out of Amazon's end, so it doesn't cost you anything to visit the page through that link. What you can also do is, uh, once you click that link and you are on amazon bookmark that page like that and every time you visit amazon through that bookmark in your browser you apply the affiliate link from the podcast website so that's a great way to help out you just do your amazon shopping like you always do only i get a little kickback from amazon for taking you there go to blog and click on the podcast link in the top menu land on the podcast uh, page and you'll find all the links there. My guest today is Francis Aaron and he is a rapper from the UK who writes about philosophy, politics, history and books and he is no fan in his own words of woke drivel, anti-scientific codswallop and other crackpot moral fashions and he takes an interesting and intellectual approach to taking this whole thing on what's uh what's going on now with the identity politics and uh, the whole woke happenings that's um, the whole woke thing that seems to be pretty big on the internet right now so i normally don't really get into politics because everyone else is talking about it all the time anyway but when i heard his song problematic which is as a description a rap song about the church of woke Identity politics and Generation Snowflake. When I heard that song, I was like, "Wow, this is interesting." I uh, I want to talk to to the guy behind this, and um, I did. We talked for a very long time, and uh, it's very interesting to uh, to find out where he's coming from. And he uh, he has a quite uh, eloquent way of um, expressing himself and why he does what he does. So enjoy this one. First episode of 2021 right away a, uh, a very long one but I think it's a good one. Enjoy ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, welcome everybody to another episode of the Polarizer podcast. My guest today is Francis Aaron and I heard a very Interesting rap song the other day on the internet and uh, that's how I uh, stumbled upon um, what he does and I figured well let's send an email, let's talk to this guy, he's got a lot of interesting thoughts. So um, welcome to the show man.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Yeah, t- tell me a little bit uh, yeah. about yourself, there's a lot of books behind you I see and um, I, I want to get into your Yeah, phone. I'm in my
1: lounge at present, it's, uh, yeah, uh, well, it's the cliche bookcase credibility thing that they have on (laughs) on the news or whatever um yeah uh i'm i'm a rapper uh from the uk i've been doing rap for years uh on and off a bit here and there over the years and we just started releasing uh, a new bunch of songs me and a producer who i've worked with for for about like yeah seven eight years now i've known him so we've just released songs and we're basically tackling a lot of issues to do with uh inverted commas the culture war um and all the issues surrounding that so that's the sort of 10, 10 song project where we've we just launched a couple of months ago so we started with a song on um transgenderism uh and then we've just done a song on uh, sort of the woke movement and everything to do with that really and their attempts to sort of i don't know like argument type songs to uh Um, either break down an issue or to um, describe what the phenomenon is or the phenomenon as I see it. So, yeah, we're working on that present.
0: Okay. And so you're going to bring out a whole album of this, of of 10 songs?
1: Yeah, we're focusing mainly there'll be 10 songs uh, with with accompanying lyric videos uh, on these sorts of issues. And I will revisit aspects of uh, the different issues as well. So uh, the next one is probably going to be on censorship and cancellations and all this kind of stuff that is quite uh, prevalent in the in the press and the media and whatnot for the last well few years really. Well, okay. it always has been, I think. So I think the next song release is going to be on that <clears throat> topic.
0: Well, we can uh, we can have a listen to uh, to the one I found. Um, uh, the one I heard first, I saw it because uh, James Lindsay posted it uh, on his uh, on his Facebook. Yeah, and um, you know he's a guy that also has been on um, Joe Rogan, and he has this um, website called uh, New Discourses. That's
1: right. Yeah, I think he he, he named it after. F- uh, well, I think it's a, a play on Foucault, Michel Foucault. Uh, like who was obsessed with the word discourse and a, a, a type of study known as discourse analysis. So, uh, yeah, I think, uh, James Lindsay's encyclopedia it chronicles all the different sort of woke terminology yeah. that has arisen, especially in the last 10 years and been adopted by all the mainstream press and, uh, the phenomenal rises from 2010 of, like word usage frequency in, in certain newspapers such as the New York Times or, well, any name any newspaper really. And ultimately, um, yeah, it's a, it's a brilliant site, the Social Justice Encyclopedia.
0: Yeah, it, let's see, it, it describes all the, all the made-up words.
1: <laughs> a lot of them, yeah. All these different, he yeah, hasn't filled it all yet, but it is, it's a piece of work.
0: James Lindsay. All is these words
1: we hear at present.
0: No, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, there's there's sorry. a little there's yeah there's a little delay in our uh, connection. So, yeah, I, I'm I'm afraid we'll we'll end up talking over each other every now and then. So, um, but yeah, there's there's um, uh, James Lindsay is this uh, mathematician intellectual guy who um, did those uh, grievance studies papers. Uh, I'm sure you know about that too, right?
1: Yeah, he he blew up, I think, with Helen Pluckrose and, uh, is it, uh, Bogossian, and they they wrote a set of papers uh, related to the critical social justice sort of fields, all these different um, fields of study that have arisen in the last, uh, like, well, 30 years, basically, uh, and a lot of this stuff now has leaked out into them mainstream in quite a big way in the last 10 years since the financial crash, actually, I think was the sort of the trigger moment for it all or as I see it. So yeah. um, And a lot of it's, it's like what's called the woozle effect. I don't know if you've heard of the woozle effect. No, It's uh, where someone produces an article or someone produces a paper and then it gets cited by another person who. Uh, quotes or uses uh, the information in the original article uh, and then someone else cites the next paper and then someone else cites another paper after that before you know it, you've got a hundred citations citing this one uncorroborated source this this initial paper which was false or contained information that was just yeah wrong in some way right. and uh, it creates this sort of um spiral effect basically and we see it a lot with kind of uh hate crime statistics stuff like that we see it in the press and we see it like quite a lot with regards certain fields of study which they're just citing each other most of the time
0: what's an example of hate crime statistics
1: uh for instance like the that like we, we hear from certain figures that hate crimes towards uh transgender people have quadrupled in the last uh five years um they they'll They'll be taking statistics from Stonewall who will have taken a statistic from one study which uh had a sample base of maybe thirty people here or there and then it'll be it'll create this sort of circle effect and then they'll just this will go out on Twitter someone will tweet about it some you'll get like thousands and thousands of retweets. Before you know it, you everyone's believing that there's this incredible wave of hate crime that's suddenly arisen. And at the same time they'll say like arguments for um the idea that with the transgender issue anyway, that the reason why so many young children are now identifying as transgender is because it's become more acceptable. And so, um, these two points clash, create a a sort of, um, like, yeah, dissonance in a sense. Hmm.
0: Okay. And in journalism, what, what you, what you do see a lot is when, uh, what I do notice is that, um, CNN reports on what Fox does, you know, and, uh, that kind of stuff, but also, Uh, journalists write articles based on what other journalists do who wrote an article about uh, based on what some other journalist wrote and then you get this little... That's basically what what you're saying, right?
1: Yeah, the Woozle effect. It's uh, named after um, like a Winnie Winnie the Pooh and Piglet story (laughs) where Winnie the Pooh and Piglet hunting for a mythical creature called a Woozle. That could be your, I don't know, your mythical... Um, I mean discrimination, hate crime, whatever, um, and they 're hunting for this woozle in the snow and they 're tracking its footprints uh, eventually they they 're tracking it quite quite a long way, and they start keep they keep seeing more and more footprints appear in the snow and then Christopher Robin turns around and tells them they 've been following their own footprints in a circle around a tree um, so it 's sort of like a metaphor for how. Um, how these sorts of news sites function really someone produces an article which cites a a study or some study that has already cited something else and then it just becomes like a like Winnie and Piglet going around the tree following their own footprints basically and no one ever gets to the actual truth of the matter or no one actually gets to it Maybe there are certain instances where there have been like um, violent crimes committed, etc., or abuse and whatnot. But it gets lost in this sort of—I don't know—like falsity or at least that's what I see, anyway. Hmm. But perhaps I'm wrong. Perhaps they. Perhaps they're. Perhaps it's it's all correct. I'm not sure.
0: Right. Well, one thing that I found interesting about those um, those grievance studies, like they, they did some very, it was based on some very bizarre premise about like dogs in in a park or something. I, f- <laughs> yeah, I, f- I, think- I forget what it was exactly, but it was just it was one of the most ridiculous, nonsensical studies air quotes that I've ever ever heard, and it got accepted. And I think they even got a prize for it, right?
1: I think so. It was like rape culture. Uh, amongst dogs in parks, right, and uh, uh, and and how this, yeah, how, how it, it's very bizarre,
0: and how that translated to like the oppression in human society or something. It was, yeah, uh, precisely
1: how it links to some sort of perhaps masculinist. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, it, it got accepted in some major. Journal. I think they wrote quite a few papers. Some of them didn't get accepted, some did. Um they rewrote a, a chapter of Hitler's Mein Kampf. Um, although it's quite different when you read it, you wouldn't recognize that it is um you, you would you will not see it. A lot of words have just been substituted here and there. So it does it does have all the buzzwords like which stem from certain fields of study dating back to like the sixties. Um like post structuralism and a lot of these terms that have arisen in, in 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 solely these fields but that now have leaked out and are like found themselves coming out of the mouths of just regular people
0: right yeah all right well um you want to listen to uh, to your song and comment on it and yeah, take, it, yeah. take it apart a little bit
2: Crackpots or stop at nothing, so of course I'm gonna catch a ton of flack. Look, that look. man is not a bat. He is a man dressed as a bat. Back before cancel culture and the Twitter pylon, the campus cults were a ticking time bomb. And a storm had been built for history's most fortunate children. They knew no pain, no threat, no trouble, no strain, no sense of struggle. Into an age of pious and barbarism came a generation raised on a diet of narcissism. Tossed into the furnace of the abyss, they found themselves purposeless and adrift, lost in a hopeless exhaustion. Awash in an ocean of boredom Drenched in resentment and pregnant with envy Depressed and condemned to be empty They had no goal, no elixir or nostrum Nothing to overcome this was their problem, they sought to be seen as heroic That their lives might one day be deemed a theme for a poet What they needed was a target, a purpose An idea that could harvest the urges they rake the dirt, they dog dock manure To slake this thirst was such a chore If they could do nothing but clutch at straws They would have to create things to suffer for Perhaps to some it might seem puzzling But human beings need suffering If there were no enemy to contend with Then it would be necessary to invent it It's so problematic Deeply problematic It's so problematic Deeply problematic It's so problematic Deeply problematic It's so problematic Deeply problematic. They began to awake goblins. To give their lives meaning, they had to create problems to acquire purpose and crack this puzzle. They had to concoct fantastic struggles, monsters they would be destined to conquer. From this came a collection of dogma, a body of fiction that they piled in stacks, a cluster of fables disguised as facts, and they pondered the doctrine rigorously. A church house of mad apparatchiks, concoctions of cosmic idiocy, churned out by quacks and fanatics from every Every orifice the stench was smelt Deep into the subterranean depths they delved When a trend then made its presence felt A pathological obsession with mental health The wretched spectre of oppression The restless fetish of progression This infection was spreading like leprosy The mystical gibberish of gender identity A woman wrapped in a cryptic weariness The phantom of lived experience The shibboleth of intersectionality A willingness to disrespect reality The blockheaded gender fallacy, the obsession with sexuality, the extreme fixation on race, these themes dictated the faith. It's so problematic, deeply problematic. It's so problematic, deeply problematic. It's so problematic, deeply problematic. Problematic, deeply problematic. At last, a creed of grievance was built, and its task was to breed the feeling of guilt, to secure power, to make them feel filthy. The innocent must be made to feel guilty, to sing a political hymn to bitterness. Repent for the original sin of privilege, enthralled by the gospel's passion. This command was installed as a moral fashion And as these flagellants ravaged their health The priesthood began to anchor itself A clergy of guilt-tripping chaplains And a neurotic flock of guilt-stricken hatchlings A rabble of activism would lay before a catechism That cast suspicion on nature And it had them thinking it would bring the hour In which this masochism would give them power The masses were tongue-tied now by a vulpine vow To turn the world upside down To dictate the terms that they shall use Through a great inversion of values A sickly cult with a worldview in which victimhood became virtue Strength and integrity were made odious Madness now became holiness Obesity became body positivity That speech would be restrained was a probability As they masked their bigotry and weak logic Masculinity was deemed toxic The meaning of man and woman had to be blurred And a guaranteed herd would hang on each word They mapped the battleground with such cunning in their world, man could now become woman And under the improbable belief he would flourish This impossibility was even encouraged A strange circus did invoke now The deranged worship of the pronoun To tame the uncouth and to mould its conduct They claimed that truth was a social construct These structures would be combusted Everything had to be deconstructed Eager to be judged, a disciple Some anemic sheep were sucked in its spiral Who felt their slumbers had endangered them Knowledge of these structures had awakened them So they styled themselves as woke now the fires of hell have been stoked Craping cassocks, costumes and disguises They would soon conclude they were righteous Sloth and buttressed and soaked with smugness. These wokest junters are groaning clusters Cloaked in the robes of social justice Their goal was to explode the structures They appeared from a trapdoor, hissing and frothing Deridian hacksaws, swinging and chopping Everything was absorbed into the doctrine. Everything was transformed into a problem. Everything had to be problematized. And the Molly colleges swallowed the lies. They gobbled the dogma of the problem And everything was thus rendered problematic. It's so problematic. Oh, deeply problematic. It's so problematic. Deeply problematic. Problematic. Oh, deeply
0: problematic. Well, that's... Uh but when I heard that song uh, for the first time, I was like, "Okay, I haven't uh, haven't heard this kind of stuff before." Or actually, that's not really true. The first time I heard this kind of new brand of sort of intellectual rap, if you will, was when uh, when I fig- uh, heard about Zuby for the first time, and um, you, you know him too, probably, right?
1: Yeah, you've you've had Zuby on, uh, I think, a couple of times, haven't you, on the podcast? Yeah, uh, I was having a look. I did. Uh, I did message him as well with the song. Uh, he checked it out and then left a comment. So he quite liked it as well. I think. Cool. Yeah. No, he's 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 a good guy. I think Zuby isn't he?
0: Yeah. He's he's, he's yeah. I mean, he uh, he's quite an interesting guy, man. He uh, he built his own success in a spectacular way uh, in a yeah in the last. Um, well, he's been working at it for quite some time.
1: I think he's been doing songs and music and whatnot for well years hasn't he he he, i remember hearing him talking about when he was at oxford he was doing music back then as well so and i think he's gone and gone off and done uh, other things as well but yeah um yeah no the song is uh it's my it's my it's sort of a lot of like songs that i write are basically catharsis for myself really ultimately i want to kind of get all this stuff out of my own sort of head and put it in some sort of artistic form so the song is basically yeah rant uh, about um, what's happened I think in the last 10 years and how in my view uh, a lot of the, the left um, of which I used to, like I still I'm quite left-wing on some issues um, I think the left has been asserted by um, post-structuralism which uh, is like Goes back to sort of like Foucault and Derrida, although they perhaps would, might not have called themselves uh, post-structuralists. What um, is post-structuralist?
0: And, uh, post-structuralism, so he, exactly. Uh,
1: uh, well, you, you have to go back to like a school of linguistics called structuralism, um, which uh, initially suggested that <clears throat> I'm very, I'm very much simplifying here, but it suggested that language is structured. Through uh, binary oppositions, so things like uh, left, right, up, down, backwards, forwards, man and woman, and uh, in like across the breadth of language, these structures uh, like largely work through binaries. Um, post-structuralism was sort of the attempt to demonstrate, as, as I understand it, to um, to deconstruct. Um, these binaries, that is to say, to unfix them, to show that they are unstable or not as solid as we like to think they are. Um, so it was... Derrida was the the, the the one who sort of led the charge on this, um, and he followed Nietzsche in many regards. It, like the deconstruction project was largely, I think, an attempt to look at language and show that a lot of... Um, language has its roots in uh, things that have uh, have no relation to the real world in some ways. That for I, I'll give an example, up and down can be relative to wherever you are positioned at any one time. Right now, someone might be in the flat above me, up, um, and someone in the flat below me, down. But like this is uh, like up only refers to where you are at that one time. I'm probably not explaining it very clearly. Here, yeah, I could tell. Um, and I'm simplifying massively, but yeah. Um, so, this sort of intense kind of um, obsession with language was the sort of key, key component, as I understand it, of some of these movements that arose um, in philosophy, especially. And then these ideas sort of. Were picked up by other thinkers, other philosophers, and through various sort of subterranean, underground channels, made their way to someone like Judith Butler, who wrote her famous book *Gender Trouble*, and um, and then developed some of the ideas further, or like, ditched some of some concepts and then added other concepts to it. Um, and before you know it, it's sort of by 2010, I think it. A lot of it starts to gain mainstream credence and gain mainstream credibility, but in a sort of watered-down form—the form that I think James Lindsay uh, is talking about um, with his with his website and whatnot. So uh, the song, yeah, like it's an attempt to simplify what I see as the psychology that leads someone to adopt this philosophy. Right. So it starts with. A lot of kids at universities um, or, do you know what I mean, they come from pretty decent backgrounds and whatnot, not really had any struggles, and they need some sort of purpose in, in life. Yeah. Uh,
0: um, I'm, I'm going to just pull up the lyrics. I think you also posted the lyrics on your Twitter, right? Yeah. Let's see. What, um, what would be the best way to go through it? Shall we just go through the lyrics or go through that Twitter thread that you posted? What do you think uh, is better?
1: Uh, go through the lyrics if you want, yeah. I've got a lot of thoughts and on parts of it.
0: All right. <clears throat> All right. Uh, let's see, I'll share my screen with you so you can see what I'm looking at too. There we go.
1: Yeah. All right. So it starts off, yeah just in general back before cancel culture and the Twitter pylon, on the campus cults were a ticking time bomb uh, and a storm had been building for history's most fortunate children. So like a lot of like the massive e- expansion of university, um, university attendance that we've seen in the last 20 years, especially, um, it's, I think in the UK anyway, like there was a huge drive to get more and more people into universities. Um, and someone posted a, Twitter, a tweet that went viral actually um, a couple of days ago, um, saying there are millions of kids in universities who shouldn't be there, studying courses that shouldn't exist, and uh, imbibing theories that are wrong. And I think, or I think that's kind of true, really. This yeah, tweet went ultra sort
0: of viral. Who posted
1: Um A guy called, just a guy on Twitter called Russian Peasant is his sort of name. I think he's anonymous. I don't know who he is. Okay. But yeah. So this tweet, I think it just encapsulated that little lyric there, really. The storm had been building for history's most fortunate children. (laughs) A lot of this verse is referencing a sort of Nietzsche's philosophy. I, I, I don't know. Are you familiar with Nietzsche much? or
0: Not much. Um, but I think it takes years to, to be, you know.
1: Yeah, so Nietzsche wrote years? a book called The Genealogy of Morals. That's the one? That's it, yeah. There are millions of people attending university who do not belong there, enrolled in programs that should not exist in order to study theories that are wrong. Hmm. And hmm. I think uh, it sparked a huge sort of debate and whatnot. But I think the fact that it went viral is sort of testament to the to its truth to some degree. Yeah. Um, so it's sort of what I'm referencing throughout this verse as well, and then a lot of these ideas that are false or that are not really grounded in any uh, like fact checking um, are being adopted on mass. So yeah. Um, but yeah, this verse references a lot of sort of uh, Nietzsche's philosophy, and that I think human beings need some sort of purpose, some sort of meaning in their life, whatever it may be. And often it depends on the ideas that are lying around at the at the time. So people adopt all sorts of um, like yeah belief systems right. in that regard. So they knew no pain, no threat, no trouble, no strain, no sense of struggle. And into an age of bias and barbarism came a generation raised on a diet of narcissism.
0: And an so, age of, of bias and barbarism, what, what does that refer to? Uh,
1: I'm, I'm, I'm kind of talking about the 2000s a bit there, I think. Um, so 9-11 sparks off this sort of a political crisis in America, which then leads to the wars in the Middle East, and, and then the financial crash hits um, in like a spectacular fashion, basically. Yeah. And, and at the same time, you have the millennial generation who come to sort of the age of 18 at the turn as the financial crash is really like sweeping the globe in many ways, uh, who are shipped off to universities in huge numbers never before seen in the last sort of 50 years and a lot of the ideas and stuff like is kind of leftist in many regards and I consider myself as having sort of imbibed some of it at the time um although I only went to university for a short time uh and then went traveling
0: what did you start
1: uh, I went. I wanted to be an actor back in the day um, and do that kind of stuff but I quickly got, I went down to university in London and then sort of realised it wasn't for me and I needed to sort of go away, figure out what I wanted to do and stuff.
0: What made you so, uh, dislike it?
1: I think it was uh, a lot of, I, I've never really fit in uh, in these sorts of environments sometimes. I'm quite like, I've got like a, small friendship circle that I get on well with. And we're all sort of on the same wavelength with regards, like basically just wanting to pursue art or music or creative stuff. So university, it seemed to me like a glorified piss up at the time. Um, and I didn't drink. So um, yeah, I, I decided to kind of ditch it and go traveling. Fair and then enough. went to Europe and then all around went to like Russia um America. Traveled all over really. That sounds so
0: super fascinating. I wanna I wanna talk about your travels later because that's uh my f- one of my favorite things to talk about. So um Yeah. Yeah, let let's let's um let's talk about that a little bit later. Um so we got um no pain, no threat, no trouble, no strain, no sense of struggle and uh, tossed in the furnace of the abyss they found themselves purposeless and adrift in the Yeah, I mean, it. It's kind of. The, I can. I can kind of see what you're saying there.
1: It's sort. It's. It, when I was writing it, it was sort of trying to reference Nietzsche's, uh Nietzsche talked a lot about what was what he called nihilism. Um, yes. People think that Nietzsche was a nihilist. He wasn't. He was. He was opposed to nihilism. He, he saw it as like a, a, a like a. A trend a phenomenon that had sort of risen in the late 19th century when he was writing um and it had risen massively there were a lot of uh, in the 1890s across europe there were a lot of um like anarchist killings bomb like people throwing bombs in cafes and blowing people up and stuff and uh, many of these people identified themselves as nihilists. There was a nihilist movement in Russia at the time as well, which, uh, basically people trying to tear down the States at the time, sort of similar sort of things we see now and again arise throughout history. But this was quite a big wave sweeping it. The American president, I think in 1900, got assassinated by one of them as well. Um, Hmm. so this was a big issue at the time, uh, Nihilism comes from the Latin uh, nihil, which means nothing in, in Latin. And we, we, we find it in the word, for instance, annihilate, which means to bring something to nothing. All right. So yeah. nihilism was this philosophy or psychology more so than anything, where there is no value, there's no meaning to life, everything is purposeless, we're adrift in this, we're, we, like, we live in uh, like a state of cosmic pointlessness, and we either create meaning, which Nietzsche said we ought to do, and we create meaning through art, through, um, through pursuing some sort of project, some sort of goal, or we, or we allow the pointlessness and valuelessness of life to either destroy us through suicide or through, I don't know, intoxication, the degradation of the body, whatever. Um, or we actively adopt a philosophy that seeks to destroy. And so many of the nihilists at the time chose the latter and went on like killing sprees or bomb-throwing sprees. We see the same phenomenon, I think, today quite a lot across all the political spheres. Yeah, we see on the left a bit people wanting to destroy uh, structures that they deem racist, sexist, classist, misogynistic, et etc. et cetera. We see it on the right with people embracing nihilism and going on these shooting sprees. Um, and we see it amongst sort of, uh, the Islamist types as well uh, with the terror attacks and whatnot. So similar things were happening in the late 19th century across Europe and especially in Russia. Interesting. And, um, Dostoevsky as well talked quite a lot about it. A few of his books were geared around that concept of like meaninglessness.
0: And w- w- what you say there about meaninglessness, you also see it in entertainment coming out of the current culture, like shows like Rick and Morty, you know, that's super popular. And that's, you know, it's, it's just nihilism, basically, making it look cool, I guess.
1: I haven't seen Rick and Morty. People keep telling me to watch it, Um, but yeah, I mean, it's a lot of it's prevalent. I I don't think I think it's a sort of element of the human condition. People question their own beliefs and whether they're correct and whatnot. Religion once provided uh, like a a unifying sort of story, which many people rallied around. Uh, This has been talked about a lot. I think. Nietzsche was the sort of first to kind of really address it full on, head on. And, and he proclaimed the the death of God, the idea that people are losing faith and, um, this will have consequences. People will try to keep the religious codes and the religious morality. Um, but without this belief in God, which once unified everyone around an idol, um, this will cause issues and and problems and like um, rumblings in the stomach as Nietzsche called it. So um, which is, I I guess what we saw in the 20th century really with the attempt to create brand new social contracts, brand new societies, new men in the form of like fascism, communism, all the sort of like movements that vied for power during the 20th century.
0: New, new men, so, what, what, what do you mean with, with that?
1: Uh, that's, well, the fascists, the Italian fascists, wanted to create a new breed of man. That was their sort of object. Um, they wanted, they, they, the fascists began straight after the First World War, and um, when all the veterans, the Italian veterans who came home from the war, um, they felt that they were... Um, like uh, and they, they felt that they'd been changed by the war, and that Italy needed to be rejuvenated or changed completely. They felt that they were the new men these and that's why you have people like Marinetti uh, and the Futurists who talked about all this kind of stuff um, and Mussolini was um, very much uh, like he called the veterans of the war, the Trinchira Grazia, which is like the aristocracy of the trenches, Um, these people who would rise up and rule the New Italy. And obviously it created sort of, well, horrors. And um, we see it with the communist factions as well, which arose in reaction, or they were reacting to each other. So, yeah.
0: Okay. And what was the communist version of it, basically?
1: the communist the new the new society basically and a new uh a new way of uh managing economic affairs completely oh, right. without the abolition of capitalism the creation of new men through that um so i think
0: um okay so these ideas yeah let's see um uh, next line uh do you do you have the lyrics in front of you as well?
1: Um, uh, yeah, I've I just... Um,
0: because then I won't have to yeah. like do the screen share thing back and forth.
1: Yeah, yeah, I've got the lyrics.
0: Cool. Uh, let's see, nothing to overcome. This was a problem. They thought they sought to be seen as a heroic, that their lives might one day be deemed as a theme for a poet. I'm not a good rapper. <laughs> what they needed <laughs> was a target, a purpose, an idea that could harvest the urges. Okay yeah so um or you know what maybe maybe yeah, you just yeah, so just read through it and and you know ex- explain what you're what you're saying, you know because maybe i'll I'll stop and start too soon or too late, you know
1: yeah, I'm talking about they sort to be seen as heroic, I'm talking about this sort of hero syndrome people people want to see themselves as in a good light and want to be able to view themselves well uh and people adopt ideologies or people adopt uh, certain movements they give to charity or they they uh, they adopt some form of activity which makes them feel better about themselves or makes them feel like they're contributing towards society in some fashion so um if people can be challenging all the evils of the world racism sexism etc then it gives them some sort of purpose what they needed was a target a purpose. Um and like you can, can keep you can keep expanding the definition of what constitutes um these sorts of things and forever be chasing like the ideal, the ideal society or the ideal um like a world without any bad things and whatnot. Like so I'm sort YouTube of referencing player. all that. Pretty much, yeah. But it's like what Oscar Wilde said, as soon as you you set out to sail for Utopia, you land the island of Utopia, and then you look out at the horizon and see that there's another Utopia in the distance. So, progressivism sort of works in this sort of way, and it's sort of, you're always always wanting to progress towards the next island of Utopia, and whether they get there or not, or whether they as we saw in the 20th century, who knows? I don't know, but yeah.
0: Okay, you you broke up again a little bit, like with the, the yeah. Oscar Wilde. I really sorry it's, Yeah, like you said. Uh, yeah, you progressivism. The the problem of progressivism is if you have reached the island of what you thought was utopia, there might be another island that's even more utopian. You just keep yeah. on going until you. Yeah, and that's that's where you, where I kind of lost you for a second.
1: Yeah, pretty much. They, uh, it's, it's. I think I can't remember the quote uh, word for word, but it's something like that. That people set out to sail for the new, the new world, find it, and then they spot a new world, and it can, it, the process goes on and on. Right. And but human I mean, beings don't really change that much, or I don't know. Maybe they do.
0: Hmm. Okay. Let's see next line. An idea that could harvest the urges, they raked the dirt and dug manure to slake the thirst was such a chore. If they could do nothing but clutch at straws, they would have to create things to suffer for.
2: Yeah,
1: that's a, uh, that's a, uh, Nietzsche talks about at the end of his, uh, one of his famous books, The Genealogy of Morals, he talks about how he believed that human beings created religion or created God. Um, and they, um, in order to basically not die from the meaninglessness all around them, they found themselves like awash in this ocean of, uh, like yeah, valuelessness. And they, they had no way of understanding why they suffer, and so they created um, an idol by which to suffer for. Um, or at least that's how he he saw it, and uh, so it's, it's it's a direct reference to the the last part of Genealogy of Morals that where he talks about like there's a famous quote he he has man would rather than will nothing than not will at all so that what that means is that people would rather embrace like an ideology of nihilism uh, than. Like literally, absolutely nothing. He right. would rather so, and, and then actively go out of their way to destroy and whatnot. Um,
0: well, it it's what, what you see on um, on the news during during these uh, riots and protests, and with the whole climate thing, you know, and Trump and anti-Trump. Like some some of this stuff is people act like they're religious zealots when it comes to this kind of stuff sometimes.
1: I think so, yeah, it does animate people in that way, doesn't it? yeah um, I think and it's across the board as well, from all the way like far left to far right it's the yeah, I think it's the same phenomena appearing in different guises um, but yeah, that's sort of what I'm referencing, of course, this song I'm mainly talking about, um the uni kids and and who would go on to become what we see now as the modern sort of left. Right. Um, I do, I did, I do have a sort of the workings of a follow-up song looking at like the, the opposite side of people embracing rather than having to create things to suffer for, they reject creation altogether and just seek to destroy. And so that's where I think you see a lot of these, uh, young men who, uh, like, Sometimes termed as incels and stuff, and they, they, they're sort of in despair, nihilistic, and whatnot.
0: Incels incel, it's like uh, like in, involuntary, like someone who wants to get laid but can't, and or something like that.
1: I, yeah, sort of. They congregate on all these forms and whatnot, and uh, it's again, I think it comes from the same sort of um, root this lack of uh, meaning. It's like in, uh, in, in their life.
0: Involuntary celibacy, right? Celibate, yeah, that's right,
1: yeah. It's just sort of a nickname that arose, I think, on like some of these message board sites, 4chan and and whatnot, and some others, um, like, they saw themselves as what they called MEETS, uh, N-E-E-T, which I think not in employment, uh, not in education or work, I can't remember, what it actually stands for. But, <laughs> yeah, you see you see the same phenomena on the left and on the right, I think. Um, the conclusions are just different in many ways.
0: Well, they're similar uh, in, the, in that they're both not very good.
1: Yeah, they're definitely similar in that way, I think. But um, what's your thoughts on all that kind of stuff?
0: Every now and then I, I do see stuff, you know... So, Every now and then I see just interviews with people and and I'm like, well, what kind of, what kind of planet do you live on? You know, like this, it's, I get a feeling you got these little bubbles of people who have a completely different warped view of reality, you know, and, and they, they both live in this same, same place, but they, they look at the world in completely different ways and, I don't know, man. It's um, I remember when In the internet has
1: sped that process up as well. Yeah, it's yeah, yeah. Sort of created all these.
0: Some of the stuff I see little, come come by yeah. on on Facebook and especially Twitter. You know, there's there's some. This like what? What are you saying? You know, it, it's I I don't have a good concrete yeah. example right now, but some of the stuff that that people actually really believe, I'm like, do you really believe that? Because what you're saying there is absolutely insane.
1: uh... yeah i think there's there's a lot of that stuff really now i think the internet has uh massively accelerated the development of all these little online ecosystems which are uh in their own little worlds basically whether it be on the left like tumblr types or 4chan types on the right um and a lot of these different ecosystems on Twitter or social media or in their own sort of blogging platforms and s- like spaces, although I hate that word, um, they develop and they develop their own like code yeah. almost their own sort of ideology and, and anyone outside sees glimpses of it or often through very like, partisan lenses, right. they don't, uh, so when these things bubble up to the mainstream or leak into the mainstream in various ways, it's quite uh, daunting to anyone who's not like doesn't know about that particular little online ecosystem. Right. I think this is where a lot of the shock towards Trump, uh, the rise of Trump, and and the rise of populism, especially, is over the last five years. So yeah, right. Did You grow up in uh, Rotterdam? Yeah, where yeah. you are. Well, yeah. I, I okay, grew
0: cool. up in a town next to Rotterdam. So, yeah. right. Okay. The, cool.
1: I've never yeah. been.
0: It's a cool city, man.
1: I, I would love
0: to go. Yeah. Once this uh, well COVID stuff is over, man.
1: Yeah. How have you? How have you been throughout this?
0: Um. Oh, working from home. You know. Um. Yeah. It's. Uh, I, I'd much rather uh, not have to deal with it, but yeah, uh, eh, you know, whatever. I mostly feel really bad for people who have bars and restaurants; they've been closed for a long time.
1: Um, yeah, I think uh, a lot of businesses have been struck round near where I live, especially. Um, I see a lot of places closing down, though some some new things opening up. Um, not really sure, to be fair. Yeah. We've just used the time to really work on music and do other stuff as well. So,
0: yeah, I've, I've, yeah. I've kind of been the same. Like I've been working on my creative endeavours as well. In this, yeah, story.
1: you do a lot of photography, don't you? Yeah, is yeah, that your? I do. Is that your main sort of uh, source of income?
0: Uh, no, I want it to be one day, but um, but I'm not quite there yet.
1: Yeah, same. It's a bit of a build up, isn't it? You have to. Build a body of work,
0: yeah, um, yeah. And I'm still also figuring out how to present it and how to monetize it. Like, I'm, I'm currently working towards um, selling high quality art prints, so just big prints and, and really beautiful paper, and um, you know, just yeah, small quantity, high quality, basically. And uh, but I'm working on setting that up.
1: Uh, yeah, there's a lot to consider as well. We consider like t-shirts and merchandise and everything else and stuff like that. Or um,
0: I'm not sure if my kind of work lends itself for that. You know, it's mostly just landscapes and uh, right and that kind of stuff. So yeah,
1: what was the demilitarized uh, zone at the North Korean border like? Yeah, I can, I'm interested in that a lot.
0: I can uh, look up. Uh, I can show those pictures too while we talk about it. Yeah, it was that was very intense, man. I've um I've been to um Korea a couple uh let's see, I'll, I'll share my screen with you. Show my website, let's turn this interview around a little bit. <laughs> um I went to Asia in twenty sixteen and one of the places mm-hmm. I went was also uh, South Korea and of course North Korea. There's I still have a lot of pictures that I want to put up here, but you know <laughs> life gets in the way of that kind of stuff sometimes. Mm. Yeah, this it basically started with a bus tour. You uh, drive through this wasteland, this frozen wasteland. It was super cold. It was like minus. It was like minus twenty three degrees Celsius. You know, it was it was so cold that it would just hurt your face. And, um. You know, you drive drive across this frozen wasteland that looks like, unlike anything I've ever seen. And then you get close to the border, and you see these signs that says, "Well, this is a mine. Uh, there's mines here. This this area is an undocumented <coughs> mine detached region where a person could get killed instantly." So basically, <laughs> you see these these little signs with mines, and you know, once you cross this border, there's uh, you're gonna step on a mine eventually. And um, then you get to this visitor center where this monument is of, uh, you know, people pushing a uh, broken world together. And this was built around a, um, the third tunnel, it's called. But they, uh, the North Koreans had dug a tunnel towards South Korea that they discovered. And then they plugged it up. They discovered it. Then they basically put a minefield in that tunnel so they put up a concrete wall with a little peak hole in it to, to just first block off the tunnel. And then they created an area of like 10 meters in the rest of the tunnel that they just filled up with mines. And then they built another wall with another peak hole. So, and that's how they closed the tunnel, basically. And um, they built a visitor center there where you can learn about what happened there. And
1: uh, Were you traveling on your own? or like, um, Well... I can see that you're with people, but on your
0: own in the sense of you weren't with anyone who, who you know. Well, when when I was there, my then girlfriend, now wife, worked there as a English teacher. She's from the United States, right? And um, uh, we, uh, yeah. So that was that was a good reason for me to stop by South Korea first because she was there, and um, it was actually her idea to go here. Yeah, I guess we really found each other when it comes to this adventurous traveling stuff. Um, yeah, looks immense.
1: Th- yeah, I would love to.
0: Yeah. And then the, the next uh, next stop was Dorasan Station, which is like the train station that would connect North Korea with South Korea. And you see you see the sign that says To Pyongyang, which is the capital mm. of North Korea. So the south korean side of that station is built and the tracks stop at the at the north korean border and they basically say well we got our part of the infrastructure ready so if you guys just connect your rail to it when when the time is there all we have wow. to do is open it up and this <coughs> is just the you know the the general area and this w- was the would-be security area but that's not being used right now obviously and um this was the platform and there's this soldier standing there to make sure that no one walks towards North Korea there and uh, mm. you know his job is just to stand there and from what from what i understood is that um, is he North
1: Korean or South Korean
0: South Korea this this was like South Korean yeah this is all on the South Korean side right and the guys who who stand guard in this area are like the the elite soldiers of South Korea so they're you know, they're actually pretty big dudes. Like the average, I'm I'm pretty tall. You know, being being a Dutchman and all, and I pretty much tower over everybody there. But the dudes, uh, soldiers standing at the border, those were big dudes, man. They were uh, bigger than I was. <laughs> yeah, and then then we um, we got to like the final part, which is this United States base, and that's where uh, no. South Koreans were allowed further because apparently there's some kind of law that if you're a South Korean citizen, you're not allowed to get really close to the to the North Korean border. So that's where our tour guide stayed behind and hung back, and we got this uh, security briefing in this building. No pictures allowed. It was like a, like a military PowerPoint that we got, and we had to sign away for that. If we get wounded or killed, our family's not going to sue them. That we enter this active. War zone at our own risk and everything, you know. And then, then we got on the bus and we drove through this this very narrow road, which is the only road through this demilitarized zone. And you know, to the left and the right of you is forest that is just filled with um, with landmines. So that's kind of unsettling drive, you know. You're you're on this narrow road in this bus, and you're like, well, let's hope the bus driver uh, does not drive off the road, you know. <laughs> And then you walk through this diplomatic building and they were very, very uh, strict about taking photos and one of the rules is you are only allowed to take pictures towards the north and not the other way around because uh, if those photos leak out to North Korea, that is a security intelligence risk, Mm -hmm. you know, because you basically give them information of what it would be like if if they would enter and in in the case that they would attack or something
1: right okay that's interesting isn't it yeah picture looks very sci-fi style doesn't it totalitarian almost
0: oh yeah yeah it is man this this is the the, the border where you got those um, blue negotiation houses and the border itself is this concrete little uh, uh yeah line i guess and the north side is sand and the south side is gravel and those buildings are halfway in North Korea and halfway in South Korea. Right. Uh, and that's where the negotiations take place. Okay. And they, yes. Yeah. And they got these soldiers who uh, who just stand there all day like statues and they, they stare towards the North Korean side and on the other side there is exactly the same. They They just stand there and stare all day. And hold guard. Wow. Yeah. Then They're like statues, those dudes, man. There was another building further to the right, but we're not allowed to photograph that. Th- there was like a watchtower on the North Korean side, and they were saying, well, while you're here, you're being filmed, and audio is also recorded. You know, you've got these remote audio devices that pick up everything, so uh, no jokes and make no weird faces or anything, because they will use that as propaganda. Mm-hmm. And then we, we entered this negotiation building and there was this other soldier who was just standing there, again, like a statue, and he's standing in some kind of uh, taekwondo, ready-to-fight <laughs> mode pose. And um, again, it was, was a big dude, man. Like there's, if, if you go there, you, you'll see some big Korean dudes.
1: He looks tall, actually. If that door is, yeah, yeah. standard size.
0: Yeah, and, and and behind that door is is North Korea and his his only job is to make sure that no one walks in there because once you go through that door, you're in North Korea. And right. soldiers there can just grab you and then there's nothing they can do anymore. So it's more for to prevent dumb tourists from doing dumb things, you know? Yeah. Are most of the people on this tour
1: with you, are they is it like a, a mixture of different people from all over?
0: Yeah, yeah. It was. Um, there were a couple of uh, Americans, and there's there's a lot of experts in South Korea. So a lot of English teachers, and there's a lot of big companies there that have um, experts working there. Seoul is insanely huge. It's it's so big. It's uh, I think there's like 20 million people living there or something. So there's you know there's a lot of experts there. Obviously, it was a little bit of everything. Yeah. There was there wasn't a whole lot of talking during this thing. You know, everyone was pretty on edge. It was it wasn't it wasn't a nice, laid back experience where people just talk about the weather. You
1: know? Yeah, imagine it's probably yeah,
0: yeah. And then um, the next carries some. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, no, but it was man. Like they, especially after that uh, briefing we got. You know where, where they just uh, and after you have to sign a waiver that you promise your family isn't gonna sue the government when you get killed. You know that kind of confirms that that this is serious <coughs> stuff. Mm. And um, well, this is this is where we actually look into North Korea. And uh, you know, for people who are just listening, it's it's just this uh, kind of barren land with hills and and there's there's this tower. That you can see, and that's like uh, like a guard tower, and they were also warning, like, don't make like sudden movements there, and don't uh, point at it, and don't do anything because there's a guy in there with a big sniper rifle, and you know, don't uh, don't uh, fuck around. And this next photo is is the bridge of no return, and if you ever s- saw the James Bond movie Die Another Day with the terrible uh, Madonna intro song. <laughs> he, um, he walks across the bridge as a prisoner of war exchange, basically. And, um, that, and that's, that's that bridge. And they, um, that was called the, the Bridge of No Return, because once you cross that bridge either way, there was no ever returning to where you came from, basically. And there's a, um, village to the left that you look at too. And it has a enormous flagpole with a enormous flag on it. That's actually the largest flag in the world with the North Korean flag. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, it's it's enormous. If it rains, they have to take it down because it'll, uh, it'll tear apart under its own weight. And that village in which that flag is in is supposed to show that that's supposed to be a very prosperous North Korean village where lots of production is going on and... Um, you know, it's a glorious, uh, prosperous place, but in reality it's just a bunch of empty buildings where they pretend that it's that's an actual place. So that's why it's called Propaganda Village, and that might have worked during and after mm. the, the Korean War times. But if you uh, look at it with uh, binoculars, you just see that it's just a bunch of empty concrete buildings with doors and windows painted on them. Yeah, this, this was a monument for American soldiers who got killed during an incident where there used to be a tree here. It's actually, actually a pretty, that's another interesting story. I thought it was called the Paul Bunyan. Yeah, the Korean Axe Murder Incident.
1: Right. Korean Axe Murder Incident. Yeah. Never heard of it.
0: Yeah, there was a tree that that basically obstructed the view from the south side to the north side. And some American soldiers went there to cut it down. And then they, um, let's see, a North Korean guard truck cr- crossed the bridge and approximately 20 more North Korean guards disembarked, carrying crowbars and clubs. They demanded that the tree trimming stopped. And when, he, when Boniface turned his back on him, He removed his watch, carefully wrapped it in a handkerchief, placed it in his pocket, and shouted, kill the bastards. Using axes dropped by the tree trimmers, the KPA forces attacked the two U.S. soldiers and wounded all but one of the uh, UNC guards. Two two U.S. uh, soldiers uh, got killed. And then the Americans started Operation Paul Bunyan, which is the name of one of the soldiers that got killed. And let's see that this, this is actually a cool, uh, cool story. They basically showed up with, with an overwhelming show of force with, like, uh, helicopters and overwhelming show Not of force. Military power. Yeah. yeah, and basically sent the North Koreans running. Operation Paul Bunyan was carried out on August 21 at 7 o'clock, three days after the killings. A convoy of 23 American and South Korean vehicles drove into the JSA, which is the Joint Security Area, without any warning to the North Koreans, who had one observation post manned at that hour. In the vehicles were two eight-man teams of military engineers equipped with chainsaws to cut down the tree. These teams were accompanied by two 30-man security platoons from the Joint Security Force, who were armed with pistols, and axe handles. The first platoon secured the northern entrance to the GSA via the bridge of no return, while the second platoon secured the southern edge of the area. Concurrently, a team from B Company, commanded by Captain Walter Seefried, had activated the detonation systems for the charges on the Freedom Bridge and had one 65mm main gun of the M728 combat engineer vehicle aimed mid-span to ensure that the bridge would fall should the order be given for its inst- for its destruction let's see in addition a 64-man task force of the korean south korean first special forces brigade accompanied him let's see and then but let's see the cool part of the story is a u.s infantry company and 20 utility helicopters and seven Cobra attack ho- helicopters circled behind them. Behind these helicopters, B-52 Stratofortresses came from Guam, escorted by U.S. F-4 Phantom and South Korean F-5 and F-86 fighters. Uh, you know, so they showed up with bombers and and jets and helicopters and you know, just just. What year
1: is this? Is 1976? Is it? Yeah. 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 Okay.
0: Yeah. Operation Paul Bunyan.
1: Bunyan. Right.
0: That's, uh, that that's worth worth looking up. Like I'm I'm reading the yeah. the the Wikipedia um, entry, but there was another there was another <coughs> um, website that was written by I think either it was either an historian or someone who was actually there. Right. Uh, okay. And it was it was very well written. I'll I'll be sure to uh, to look that up and send it to you
1: yeah yeah it'd be interesting and that so that little memorial thing is to commemorate is to remember that incident then.
0: yeah and that's where the tree used to be basically
1: right yeah
0: and here we see the bridge no and okay. return and um you know that that was it like i, I would have loved to have taken more photos yeah. but yeah they didn't really allow that
1: a limit on yeah. right okay would you ever go into North Korea itself? I know you can do these sorts of uh, travel trips where you are accompanied at all times by some some uh, North Korean guards or something.
0: It would be very interesting for sure, but I wouldn't want to do it for the same reason why I wouldn't want to visit Cuba. Right. My my money would go to to like a totalitarian government, you know, and um, yeah. I don't know man weird weird stuff has happened there in North Korea with that uh, American um student that got captured there you know for supposedly stealing something and you know I yeah, don't know yeah. man you w- once you're there there's uh, there's no one who can help you if if weird stuff happens so
1: no embassies or anything like that yeah Yeah how, how about um, you
0: are you attracted to that at all or
1: Uh I did consider it years ago uh I think when I was in Mamor sort of wacky thinking phase of wanting to go and travel to all these like disparate places even going through some sort of war zones i considered going down to chechnya at one point when i was in russia um Um, i didn't i didn't manage to do it in the end
0: you traveled Um, to russia yeah but like where did you go
1: well i lived in uh russia for quite a while i was living in moscow um and spent I think Moscow is perhaps the city I know best out of any city in the world, just in terms of its layout and whatnot. I really trekked everywhere Man. there. I love I love Moscow. Have you been yourself or
0: no, no,
1: no? So I, I do recommend it for its history. Um, uh, it's very sort of um, I mean, a lot of the Soviet architecture is all there, so it's quite grim in in certain ways, um, sort of grey. Yeah, although. Parts of it are beautiful. Um, obviously, Red Square is the famous place. Um, I lived in St. Petersburg as well for a while. Um, that's a beautiful city built by Italian architects. Peter the Great uh, kind of built it on a swampland and wanted to create the Venice of the North. Oh, really? The Russian The Russian Venice, yeah. That was his sort of object. He wanted a city that stood for enlightenment, style values and he was one of these big reformers who come along now and again so he built this city I suspect through surf or slave labour but yeah St. Petersburg is stunning especially in the summer
0: what brought you <clears> what What did you do there in Russia did you, were you just travelling uh, did you work there yeah or? I
1: mean I was doing various things uh, I was teaching English I was uh, I did go off and travel all, all around. I had a major travel trip where I sort of hitchhiked about Russia and went from city to city to town to town, visited all sorts of things. Um, went to gulags. Went to really? all the major cities such as like Kazan, Ufa, uh, and Yekaterinburg, however you pronounce it. Um, uh, yeah, Chelyabinsk which was the city where they built all the Soviet tanks during the war. Yeah, just hopped about, really, hitchhiking with fat-mouthy truckers, generally.
0: Oh, my God. That's an Uh, adventure, dude.
1: (laughs) It was. It was brilliant. Um, The guy taught me, one guy, Kolya his name was, I always remember his name, this uh, real chubby guy. I flagged him down outside St. Petersburg, like just uh, some gas station and asked him where he was going i was trying to go south i wanted to go to sochi which is in the south where all the winter olympics are held uh, and winter was on its way so i thought i'd go south just a bit warmer down there he was going he ended he was going uh, east originally he was heading east so i just got in and ended up 5 days later in his hometown home city chelyabinsk and then jumped around some of the cities there yeah, you should be able to see it.
0: Where? Um, let's see. So you you flew into Moscow, probably, or?
1: Uh, yeah, I was living in Moscow, uh, and then I was in Saint Petersburg a bit later up there. And I was trying to get south, going down past Voronezh and down, uh, yeah, down towards uh, Volgograd, what used to be known as Stalingrad okay. during the Soviet days. Um, but instead went east over to, if you pan out a bit. so big. Yeah, yeah, it's huge. Russia is massive. Further, so it's much,
0: further east? So as much, yeah, as
1: much for, yeah, yeah, you should be able to see it. Uh, so Kazan is there, and Chelyabinsk is there, if you just, oh, zoom in.
0: Oh, yeah, here it is, Chelyabinsk.
1: Yeah, so I hitchhiked it. There, travelled around all that area as well. Um, and yeah, Yekaterinburg is a beautiful, beautiful city. Underrated in terms of, it's not very well known by comparison to some of the other places in Russia. Chelyabinsk is quite grey, but I, I, I quite enjoyed my time there. Proper Soviet sort of style city. Right. Have you been to Russia yourself or not?
0: No, no. I'm I'm fascinated by it though. You said you visited the gulags.
1: Yeah, I was staying in a small town city called uh, Perm. How do you spell that? P E R M, and then but it's got Nyakiznak at the end. So just top Perm Russia, yeah, and it should come up. There you go. Okay. So I was staying with a, a couple who um, lived in the in the town, and yeah, I've walked past all these. Nearby was a uh, a gulag. I can't remember the exact number of it. And so I went out with uh, their dad. Their dad took me out there to have a look at it.
0: What what was that like?
1: Uh, Interesting. They're a lot smaller than you'd expect. Like You kind of get in your head that maybe they're sort of big concentration camps, but generally they're tiny like little mini fortresses. And uh, they've got like a work area and, and it's pretty rough inside and it's all decrepit. It's like a real prison. Um, What you imagine prison is like. Yeah, that's uh, that's where I've been. Oh, my God. So they're just, yeah, like this mini little fortress and whatnot. But there are tons and tons of these scattered about Russia. That
0: looks like absolute hell, man. I think so. In the harsh winter,
1: especially, it will be. But yeah, it was it was just autumn when I was. It looked like pretty much like that, yeah. So yeah, I turned it all into a museum now, so people have a little wander around and they've got the like kind of museum stuff there. And mm-hmm. if you read in Solzhenitsyn at the present, then yeah, yeah, you get some of these pictures of basically slave labour during the late thirties and onwards up until the sort of gulags were exploded right like the knowledge of them
0: D- did you take any pictures there or
1: yeah i have quite a lot um i was actually working on my website to put all this kind of stuff up like pictures and from the travels and whatnot. um some of it's quite interesting
0: yeah for sure
1: but yeah <clears throat> I think this. all these little towns and cities are in the, yeah, the Ural Mountains, as, as it's known, <laughs> or on the edge of the Ural Mountains.
0: Okay, and then where, where did you go uh, next?
1: Uh, I hopped about from town, little village. I went to so many little places here and there. The major places, I was in Izhevsk for a while, which is a small town there, just to the, just to the sort of uh, southwest here. Uh, I was only there for a while. I stayed in Kazan for quite a while Kazan is uh, Tatarstan so it has um, this incredible mosque yeah so Izhevsk is not much to see there really although it's it's good to get a sense of the real Russia basically and yeah, I, I, I was massively into all the Soviet history as well. So,
0: I, I bet um, they don't see a lot of people from the UK there. Yeah, yeah. Look at that!
1: You see a lot of that kind of those Soviet style monuments around, and then sort of contrasted with the the old uh, like Russian Orthodox style churches. But yeah, the next. One of the cities across called Kazan. Have you heard of Kazan before?
0: Mm, no. How do I spell that?
1: Uh, K-A-Z-A-N. But uh, one of the most beautiful buildings I've ever seen is the, the uh, not that building, this mosque. here. It's pretty big. The blue sort of domed mosque. All right. The uh, the area was like um, I think dating back centuries into like the 14th century. It's been sort of settled by the Tartars, who are sort of Muslim Russian people, um, and so yeah, it has its own Kremlin as well, wow. which has churches and I think that there is a synagogue there as well. This is within within the the Kremlin fortress of Kazan. So it is. It's quite beautiful when you go there. I spent quite a while there. We shot a music video there as well.
0: Were you uh, rapping back then as well?
1: <clears throat> yeah, I've been. I've been doing music for years in various, like stopping and starting here and there. So yeah.
0: And were you? Was your old uh, music uh, also uh, political, or um, or was it more some
1: of it? Yeah, some of it was. I think this is a new development with all these new songs are a bit more explicitly political. Um, I used to write about all sorts, really, although in my early 20s, uh, like I needed to polish up some of the phrasing and how, how things are worded a bit. So I think that's what I've been doing over the last four or five years. Okay. But, well, yeah.
0: What are the what are the people like in Russia, man? Did you feel uh, feel safe there the whole time? Or...
1: Yeah, I, I I spoke Russian to a good standard, so I kind of uh, um like could get on pretty decently. And um, Russians are they they have a sort of they're very hospitable once you get to know them well, and especially the old like. Abushki old grandmas who basically just much food as you can imagine, just tables laid out with it. Um so yeah, I I, I love Russians. I, I I got on like massively with many of the people who whom I stayed with here and there and made friends and whatnot. So cool. Yeah. What's your experience of people who, who you've met here and there on your travels?
0: Um well, I mean I um uh well every every country definitely has its own uh, its own vibe you know I found that people in uh, on Bali were were the most were super warm and super friendly and uh, very open and, and hospitable like you said yeah but most i I quite like uh, most asian countries <coughs> I've been Koreans are generally in my experience they're you, you got to get to know them a little bit before they open up you know but if you go to uh, like Tai Taiwan, it's uh, that's almost like you're a celebrity there, you know. People, people want to take pictures with you, and uh,
1: okay, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, and I think the of, Russians are the same. It takes a while for them to sort of open up to you. I think
0: they if always you always think you're American. Yeah, but, yeah um, probably. Yeah,
1: and they they have quite still. There's still some sort of uh, I don't know. Suspicion towards Americans,
0: yeah. In general. And you know, they those people have been through a lot in in history too, and I think that makes them a little bit, um, you know, hardy, too. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I, I, the f- the few Russian people I I know, they always kind of have this toughness about them. You know, oh. you you don't they don't smile that quickly. They're, I think that's true. Yeah. yeah they're they're, and you know not saying they they never smile but they're you know you can you can see that they're they're kind of hard they have hard eyes you know mm-hmm.
1: yeah um and I, I went to america afterwards you've been to america as well haven't you i saw yeah many times yeah, yeah. so traveled quite a bit in america um so it was quite a country like a contrast afterwards uh yeah.
3: Did,
0: did people at the border um, ask you some questions when they saw a Russian stamp for your passport? or uh,
1: Not really, no. They weren't that bothered. Um, I kind of sailed through because I had, like, well, the British passport, so it, it was generally fine. Um, okay. I think only certain places the Americans get a bit uppity, although that'll have changed in the last few years, um, and it's a lot more stringent. I think now, especially, um, what did you, what was your experience of it in the U S Yeah.
0: Um, I, 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 get along great with, uh, with Americans. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Same. I think your wife is American, you said as well. Or?
0: Yeah. Yeah. So I'm, I'm kind of yeah. used to, uh, I'm, I'm pretty used to, uh, you know, Americans in general, I guess.
1: <laughs> yeah. Where is she from in America? Florida. Okay, cool. Yeah. Florida. I've never been. I didn't go down to Florida when I was there. Oh. So, where, where did yeah. you go? Uh, again, I hopped about from city to city, and I was in New York for a while. Uh, then I went to like, Philadelphia, Washington, yep. D.C. Uh, yeah, Chicago, San Francisco, Santa Barbara, Los Angeles. Just hopped about yeah, all the major places, I think. Wow. There was a lot I left out though. So you went so, from
0: New York to Los Angeles? That's, uh, that's a long way.
1: <clears throat> it is, yeah. Um, just I was either getting a train or Amtrak things. Um, yeah, it was, it was good. I, I really loved it. I think I, I knew a lot of Americans from my time in London. So I had people scattered about here and there. The
0: couches to crash on.
1: Yeah, yeah. So there was like a place for me to stay in San Francisco in Los Angeles, New York. Um, but yeah, it was good.
0: What was your uh, favorite spot there?
1: Uh, I, I liked New York mainly for the, the history and hip hop. So it's it his birthplace. So I, I went around all the areas that I heard in songs, uh, for listening for years. So I went exploring Uh, really trekked the entirety of sort of Manhattan especially and then other parts of Brooklyn uh, just trekking everywhere I came my feet to like yeah my feet were absolutely after those couple of three weeks whatever it was Um, I like San Francisco a lot as well have you been?
0: No no, uh, the furthest I've been west is uh, San Antonio Texas
1: Right, yeah. I didn't go down to Texas. I would have liked to. Texas but, is great. Yeah, San Francisco was. What did you do in San Antonio?
0: Uh, I had a friend live there. I I was an exchange student in the states in 2011, and I made a lot of friends there. And you know, after college, everyone scattered all over the country. So I had, um, you know, one of uh, one of my friends moved to San Antonio. So uh, I drove there from. Pensacola, Florida, which is like the right. um, you know the the Western panhandle, uh it's like right under yeah. Alabama. Did uh, did the music uh the street, like fifth fifth street it's called, if I remember correctly, and there's all the music joints and barbecue places and um, Yeah man, Texas is cool.
1: Yeah. Right, I will go at some point, definitely I think. Um
0: Have you been I to New Orleans?
1: I haven't, no. It's one of the pla- another place i really wanted to go, yeah. uh, just for some like jazz history and stuff, um, but didn't get a chance. Um, and at the time, I think, I can't remember, America only allowed you three months stay. Correct. Uh, so I don't know if it's still the same now, but um, well, right so now, I needed,
0: Right now, there's I, no I was way really to get not, in at all.
1: Yeah, of course. Um, I was really pushing it at the time, I think. I I flew I, I flew back from LA, but I had to fly to Philadelphia because all these it was the Christmas when all these uh, storms had hit, um, and so all flights had been cancelled. So I had to stay an extra week in Philadelphia. I think it was, and then fly back after this it all cleared up. This was ten years ago now. Okay, so yeah. How, so how, now.
0: how old were you when you did the Russian trip and the US trip and everything?
1: From the age of eighteen to till like twenty twenty one, wow. twenty two. Wow. So and then I came back to Britain. And then yeah. And then when I came back I was looking for a stay in London, stayed there for a bit, too expensive, and then moved up to um like Manchester. Um, lived there for a while and got involved in all the sort of underground battle rap scene in across that was happening all across the UK at the time. It was pretty big, um, so I was involved with that for a time and then stepped back from it and kind of just pursued other things, writing and whatnot. Okay. So yeah, cool. And then we we just decided to release these songs a few months back and what we'll be doing now for the next year or so slowly building up a channel okay
0: right? you want to move into the rest of the lyrics
1: yeah yeah so yeah uh all right you want to get back into the second part of the song or
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> what's
1: your thoughts on the song or what do you what what do you and by it or what did you take from it
0: um I was like, "Oh wow, this this is a lot of uh, spot on stuff." It kind of um, ties into what people like Jordan Peterson are saying, and I was like, uh, "All right, this this is definitely." It also it also caught my attention because it's you don't hear this kind of stuff very often in in well n- you don't hear the stuff ever in popular music that's for sure but not really yeah. in music in general. And yeah, well, this, 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 like, it's almost like a new genre of like intellectual rap music that, <laughs> that, um, you know, ties into, uh, meaning and calls out, um, all the stuff that's going on.
1: Yeah. I think, I think that's how we sort of wanted to frame it. Left axis, the producer of the song, he calls it essay rap. Um, um, essay where a lot of yeah just that's good it's just his term for it um a lot of it's written I'll write it out as a sort of mini article or essay um so I'll write it in prose initially and then take a lot of the lines um I don't know take any of the line any line most of the lines in there began as just like a, a sort of prose from a prose article and then I that I wrote and then just uh, layer it up with rhymes and lyricalize. That's pretty much how I write these days. and then
0: do you translate actually, into lyrics? And, and, do, and, and you, uh, D- do you? I'm um, sorry. Do you? Yeah, that's that's a delay, man. I'm not uh, talking over you because I'm being rude. Yeah, yeah, I know. Uh, <laughs> um, do you? It was a bit of a delay. Yeah. Uh, do you actually have like books that you're uh, referencing stuff from while you're writing this stuff?
1: Yeah, definitely. There's a lot of references throughout the song. Um, a lot of references that, uh, like to philosophical, uh, writers in the second verse, uh, there's a little segment, which is based on a tiny extract from a Norman Cone, Norman Cone. I don't know how you pronounce his surname. Uh, who talked about um, like what was going on at the universities. I think he was writing in 1996. I can't remember the exact year that he, was, he wrote it. So I, I took a bit of inspiration from that. Um, and, and word usage as well is, is sort of important, I think. There's a lot of what is Nietzschean language, language that is sort of inspired by Nietzsche. So yeah, and there's, there are many bits that are quite strongly worded. I was, I was second guessing a lot of lines here and there, but in the end, I just went with them.
0: It's a lot of uh, rewriting there. Yeah. So the last four uh, lines is uh, perhaps it m- might seem puzzling, but human beings need suffering if there were no enemy to contend with. Then it would be necessary to invent it.
1: Yeah, that's uh, um, sort of a reference to Saint George in retirement syndrome. Have you heard of that? No. So Saint George is on his way. He's, he's killed. He's killed dragons. Do you know what I mean? He's saved the world or whatever. Uh, he's in retirement, but he's got no meaning and no purpose. Nothing to suffer for anymore. Nothing to work. No goal to work towards. So he starts imagining dragons and fighting these imaginary dragons instead. Um, it was something that was referenced by Douglas Murray in his book, Madness of Crowds, if you're familiar with that. Um,
0: I know Douglas Murray, but I don't know. I haven't read this book.
1: Yeah, a good book, Madness of Crowds. He, he just looks at um, various things that have happened over the last, well, maybe 10 years and... Uh, All to do with like race, uh, sexuality, a lot of the movements that have arisen, a lot of the craziness that has come from all these university programs,
0: the madness of crowds, gender, race, and identity by Douglas Murray. Okay, I
1: think it came out uh, at the end of last year. I can't remember. Precisely, but, yeah, so the idea is that we all need a goal, something by which we, we need to apply effort in pursuit of something. If someone doesn't have a goal, they either atrophy, they either kind of, I don't know, turn to drugs or alcohol, turn to various ways to sort of fill the void, or they adopt an ideology or some something that gives them a semblance of community I think you see this a lot now with kids on the internet who get lost in these little uh, sort of the people who subscribe to this like the gender ideology right which we see a lot at the moment
0: yeah the stuff um, we talked about earlier too like uh, yeah, there's the, yeah yeah okay and
1: so so it's kind of a reference to all that but
0: Okay, the second uh, second uh, verse. They began to wake goblins to give their lives meaning. They had to create problems.
1: So, yeah. Uh, again, it picks straight up from that, that. People create problems for themselves sometimes. I think we're all guilty of it. We blow some out of proportion or we, um, I don't know, yeah. We create tasks, basically, that perhaps don't need to be done, or we create more work for ourselves. It's a natural sort of instinct sometimes. I think this is... The people I'm talking about, the university-type kids, all these issues, there are genuine concerns, definitely, here and there, but largely, I would say, they've concocted these problems or at least taken something... That exists something like an issue um, racism in society, and then expanded the definition to momentous proportions, so that so many it creates all of these problems. A lot of this philosophy, this idea, comes from Foucault. He he described his uh, philosophy as problematization. That was his sort of object. He wanted to. Find he wanted to extract all the different problems from uh, a situation. Um, I don't Do you know much about Foucault or
0: I know about him, but I, I'm not, yeah, well schooled in, in his work. But I, I know the general stuff which you lay out there, and I, I know the gist of what his work is about, yeah,
1: yeah. So, his, his a lot of his uh. Influence can be felt everywhere now, or at least I I think so. Um, The obsession with spaces that we always hear about is uh, Foucauldian. It comes from him. His first three books looked at, he he wanted to look at history in a different way. He didn't want to look at it in terms of time as one thing happening, one thing after the other chronologically. Um, He wanted to look at it in terms of space uh, like a setting, place, situation. So this was his. Uh, so he, his first three books: the birth, uh, the, the history of madness, the birth of the clinic, and this. Uh, well, discipline and punish came a bit later. Um, these three books looked at the, uh, like the mental asylum, uh, the clinic, the psychiatric clinic, and the prison and the penal system. He attempted to, like, give a history of these spaces and how they have functioned uh, throughout history in different places and whatnot, what roles they've played, the scenery. Uh, So these are quite intense studies. He he saw this as, he described it himself as, like, problematization. It was taking something that we all take for granted, such as a society needs... um, prisons to house criminals and then extracting all the problematic elements from that. So do we like what, like what does society describe as a criminal who defines what a criminal is, who holds the power, like all these questions. Um, some of it are useful and some of it we tend to take for granted now and again. Um, but, of course, now this, pro- this problematization doctrine, if you want to call it that, has bled out everywhere and spread out and kind of taken its grip on many sort of fields in, in the universities and yeah. in the minds of many people, I think. And with the, the frequency of the word problematic is just a, a simple testament to that, Yeah, by my understanding anyway, but...
0: I I remember seeing a tweet or an article uh, of someone saying, uh, "Well, if you if you were a white person eating uh, Chinese food with chopsticks, you're, uh, you I forget it was either a colonizer or a racist or, or both, probably." But I was like, "What? What? Huh, what?
1: <laughs> you know? Just, yeah, turning transforming any mundane thing into a problem or finding a problem in it." Right. So many of these kids have been taught to think in this Foucaultian way it can be good in some ways um, it can be a sign of someone who questions sort of uh, questions things that are often left unquestioned but at other times it can just be like the article you've probably read there just finding an issue with something that is just mad yeah. ultimately or stupid in some way but yeah so that's why the song is called problematic as well it's sort of a, it's the like the the frequency of this word now or for a while it became extreme you heard it everywhere and various things described as problematic it's become like a sort of ironic term now yeah um i think people have tagged on to the fact that it had become that but
0: it's kind of become a parody of itself at this point. Yeah, yeah. So um,
1: that's what this verse is about as well. Then they have to create a bunch of these problems and this church house of mad apparatchiks, they concoct a bunch of wacky ideas, uh, concoctions of cosmic idiocy, and then it's churned out by the universities and the people who are on these courses Um and it's everywhere. It can be like its stenchious smell everywhere. It's in. It leaks into all the mainstream press. It leaks into all media. You start seeing it on mainstream TV shows like uh, Netflix, etc. And the people who have not sort of subscribed to this set of ideas feel a bit kind of um, alienated by it all. And the people who are very much have been possessed by it um, don't even recognize, I don't know what's happening. I think because they're in its, they're in the stream itself. So yeah. And then I think we, we, we hear a lot about it. I think there's been a massive turn towards mental health uh, questions. People have developed this obsession with talking about mental health all the time. In my view, Talking doesn't solve a lot of problems. It generally creates more problems. And an emphasis on mental health can be detrimental to health in general, in my view, especially for young teenagers. I work with a lot of kids in care, kids who've been through really rough circumstances, abuse, all all manner of things. Um, In what
0: what, uh, place do you work with them?
1: Uh, I was working for quite a while for the last few years with kids all around um, who were in care, and I was helping them with their academic studies, maths, English, etc. Um, but a lot of the I was in care myself throughout my teen years. Um, my mom died when I was little, so I was in care, uh, and a lot of the issues that they have are what we'd call men- the mental health issues in my view, a lot of it um, springs from sort of physiological,
3: like, like
1: physical health issues uh, and things they've witnessed or things they've seen that they cannot alter, and they don't possess the vocabulary or the, the words to describe these feelings. Um, ultimately, all you can do is ensure that their physical health remains strong. That's that's my takeaway from it all. Um, So I'm I'm, I'm always a bit put off by this massive emphasis in the press and the media now about talking and talking about mental health all the time, Um, especially for those who've had traumatic circumstances watching their mother die or they've been abused in some way. I don't think this is the best approach, personally. I think talking groups can help to a certain extent, and... The, the child or the teenager or whoever, an adult, needs to be able to have people whom he or she can talk to. Um, but yeah, I'm 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 a bit alienating myself from this mainstream emphasis that has arisen. Right, well, it, it's
0: it's the same with some some people on on Twitter or other social media pages. They put it in there profile like they make, kind of say they, they make it a part of their identity they they want the first thing you see about them the first thing you learn about them is they want you to know that they're like uh, manic depressed and bipolar yeah and, and name another anxiety disorder that's not anxiety a is a very yeah
1: yeah or well ADHD yeah it's a sort of ID characteristic now hasn't it yeah <laughs> again like these a lot of these things are. I don't know transits for you through state being down or sad or depressed or whatever for whatever reason maybe you've had a breakup maybe you like you've been in poor health or something um, absorbing depression or anxiety a part of who you are um, I don't I don't I don't regard that as sort of like yeah heavy. I I think that's probably not helping. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not an expert on these kind of things, but I I see a lot with the kids now and the new generation, the generation Z guys. Um, yeah, I, I I don't think this pathological obsession with mental health ultimately helps. We see everyone from Prince Harry and to all sorts of celebrities going on and on about it. Um, yeah, and I think it it has come from these university departments that have pumped this sort of I, these ideas out for a while, um, and now mental health, your mental health issues have become a facet of your identity.
0: Right. Um, instead so- of instead of something you have to work out and try to find a way to to deal with and kind of move on, try to live your life the best way you can, you know?
1: Yeah. To overcome, I think.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Or, or deal with in, in a way, you know, that makes you a productive functioning person in society, I guess.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that's when, well, I start listing off a few of the things here as well. The, um, the, the wretched specter of oppression, the fetish of progression, constant progress, um, and they believe in, like, I think the only type of progress we ultimately have is technological progress. The real people who push things forward are the scientists, the engineers, the artists who come up with the, the sci-fi ideas in the first place, and then engineers and scientists ultimately figure out how to do this, and that's what leads to the progress as we see it the fact that i'm can speak to you now you're in rotterdam and i'm here and we can talk through you know i mean yeah i don't think we have progressed morally um i think we've just altered moral values just changed a bit whereas a lot of the people who call themselves progressives generally are talking about like what i glean from it is moral progress i think I don't know. Um, I'm always a bit suspicious of that because the communists and the fascists were saying exactly the same thing. They were the progressives of their era. They were the people trying to create the new world, the new men or the new society. So, yeah, yeah.
0: And there's there's not to say that that everything is perfect or things couldn't be improved or anything, but when things get, when people start talking about utopian ideas and and you know, that's when I also kind of get nervous, and there, yeah, there same. seems to be a lot of that. Like it never never works out well, and as far as I know,
1: yeah. How much of it do you think is due to youthful? Uh, daydreaming or youthful sort of ideas. Because I was quite, um, I would say, left-wing in my youth in that regard, like utopian thinking and we can create a better society, etc. And since I've probably grown a a lot more realistic.
0: Well, I'm I'm sure there's there's definitely an element of that to that. I remember when I was in high school and we, I I forget which this is a long time ago, it's like more than 20 years ago, but I remember one class, there was, uh, in a book, it was basically, which I later uh, recently realized was postmodern theory, I guess, and it basically said, well, whatever you find reality is reality. And, you know, when when I read that, it felt kind of weird, but I liked that idea, you know, but then, when it, when I was like riding my bike home, I was I, I I was thinking about that for a long time as a as a, like a thirteen year old, and and I came to the conclusion. But what if I want my bike to be a Ferrari or a spaceship? And what if I want <coughs> to have a million euros in my bank account? And what if I want um, you know if I want to fly like a bird? And then that's not gonna happen because I just think it or want it. So. Even as a as a pretty young kid wrestling with that idea, I drew the conclusion that there there is some kind of reality you have to contend with, whether you want it or not. But you know, I I I figured it out at a pretty young age, I guess. But what puzzles me is that there's <coughs> young adults who kind of still live in this have, have these. Ideas that you that I think you are have supposed to have figured out when you're at least in your early twenties, you know. And, yeah. Um, and pe- people who who what else, the one thing that really bothers me and puzzles me most of all is safe spaces in college campuses. Like there's ideas I disagree with, and therefore I want to have a little bubble in which I won't hear those ideas, so I'm I can pretend they don't exist like I'm gonna plug my ear and say la 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 la, la. it doesn't exist so, and therefore it doesn't exist I'm like that. that's kid stuff you know that university is supposed to be the mm-hmm. opposite of that you're supposed to have your world view destroyed from all angles and so you can figure out what's true you know and um, I don't know it, it's it's like yeah I, I think a lot, a lot of people just need to grow the hell up, you know? Mm. It's, uh, and, and for some reason, that, that yeah, they, they don't want to and, and a lot of people don't want that too and, uh, yeah.
1: I think, yeah, like, uh, I suspect I, ro- I wrote some of, well, um, I can't remember what I've read about it, but only in the last 10 years have adults started to take seriously some of the more wackier kind of ideas that are sort of springing from the youth. Um, A lot of these, the gender ideology sort of ideas that have come to us through various channels here and there, um, and it's sometimes hard to trace where they come from, um, but have suddenly burst out into popularity, like declaring oneself non-binary, and right. um, opting out of the sex binary as if that is even possible. Um, this has become a sort of little fashionable kind of thing to do now. And uh, they, they think perhaps they're who they truly are. Um, and these sort of ideas are taken seriously by the mainstream or by adults, and now it's. Been, like companies and firms and the activists are pushing it here and there and everywhere. Um, and it's wrapped in lovely kind of nice cloak uh, comes you know I mean, You get the chance to be compassionate and kind and fair by. So a lot of these movements are driven by, I don't know, appealing to people's egos and making them feel like they have to uh,
0: accept these ideas. Otherwise they're not being kind and compassionate Right.
1: Um, so much of politics now relies on that, I think. Um, and it creates the situations we've seen for the last five years. Well, it the, creates reactions.
0: Well, the one thing um, that really kind of puzzled me, but that that made me realize, like, okay, I guess this is where we are now, um, was when the whole um, Greta Thunberg thing happened. It was like there's this like, 16-year-old kid who... Um, you know, who suddenly gets to speak in front of the United Nations and and um, <clears throat> yell at politicians? And mm. I'm like, okay, well, it, you, she can have her opinion, but it's, it's she's still a 16 year old kid. Like, what? Like, why? But I guess the world leaders have to take her seriously oh, it's almost. because. Yeah. And then, then uh, I saw an interview. Uh, I read an interview somewhere with her parents, and apparently, she she has like uh, autism and OCD, and, and she got really focused on this on this climate stuff. And her parents <coughs> were basically like, "Well, we're gonna just do everything that makes her happy, no matter what." And um, you know, we're gonna support her, and blah 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 blah. And a couple of years later, here we are at the United Nations, and I guess the world is listening to it and taking her word very seriously like she's some kind of scientist or something uh, that that has this very deep original idea that will save the world or something I, I i just don't really i don't i i didn't really understood the whole thing to be honest then the next day in, I the, in the newspapers like oh it's so stunning and brave and oh, wow you know like uh, the po- the politicians yeah. should listen to that, and uh, it's it, yeah, it it was just weird to me, and it was even weirder <laughs> that people took that whole thing so seriously.
1: Mm. She reminds me a bit of like these medieval child preachers they used to wheel out, the, like a lot of these little Christian movements, and in the sort of uh, I don't know what century, thirteenth, fourteenth, maybe. Used to like have child preachers um, who like would walk through a town preaching or stand in the square or whatever. So it's a bit like that in some ways. I don't know. Um, yeah, it, I don't know much about it. All to be fair. Um,
0: but, but the whole so, whole thing that that we should really care and take seriously the opinion of a sixteen or seventeen year old. No, we fucking don't. I mean when i think of what what i and my buddies were thinking uh, and even the smart the really smart kids in the in the class when we were when we were that age we were all you know just kids yeah with no life experience with no real you know we, we were just kids and you know kids and that's not saying that not kids cannot have interesting thoughts but <clears throat>
1: I know what you mean, yeah. It's sort of, it's become this symbolic. she's become this symbol almost really and they've transformed her into a symbol. Um, so it's how human beings sort of function a bit. Like we always need our symbols, um, right. idols to worship or whatever. Um, yeah, um, we might, do a song related to that kind of stuff. Although I, I don't know much about it all to be fair. Um, so I'd have to do more research on it all. Hmm. But yeah. All right. I guess it's what I'm talking about in this as well. Yeah. To some extent.
0: So we are at the trapped in the cryptic weariness, the phantom of lived experience.
1: Yeah. Yeah. This is a common phrase, lived experience, uh, all experiences lived, so I don't understand why they need to put lived at the front. But it comes from again uh, a lot of these university fields, and now it's become this phrase. Um,
0: it's like my reality versus your can, reality, that kind of bah, stuff.
1: Pretty much, yes. Yeah, like post positivist, which means it sort of it sort of denies any objective reality. It says that. Do you know what I mean, yeah well, it's my reality, my truth kind of thing. And then if people can't agree on certain basic values or certain basic truths, if uh, people can't agree that, for instance, sex is binary um, and that you have male and female and that within these two categories, they're extremely complex and there are massive amounts of variation and sometimes the variations overlap. Um, But if people are rejecting uh, something which has mountains of evidence like in its support, and saying, Well, my lived experience is that I am of, ni- like, of neither part of that binary, I am non binary or whatever. Um, and they're saying, if, Is it this as if it is fact? Uh, there is, then there's issues really with how people, I don't know. How, how we're perceiving reality, and then if corporations and media and politicians are taking all of this stuff kind of seriously um, without question, without like asking, "Hang on a minute, like, what do you mean?" or "How how how are you? How how can you define yourself in that way?" Then yeah,
0: well, I mean, a lot of people would call you <coughs> transphobic for saying what you just said. You know,
1: and this is what I'm talking about with this sort of the expansion of, uh, the, like, a term used as uh, a beratement like that, like, used to berate someone for holding a certain, uh, well, a factual stance. Um, and this word now, instead of it being, you, instead of you attacking a transsexual person or someone who, like, like, dresses in a certain way or someone who's undergoing the procedures, etc., it's become this huge word that you target anyone with. Um, so if someone says that a man cannot become a woman, which is verifiable fact, um, it's impossible for a man to become a woman or vice versa. Um, this is now seen as transphobia. Um, and so if if there are plenty of people saying that fact or stating it on Twitter or wherever or... Um, and the, the, these kind of statements then are recorded uh, as hatred or hate. There are ways to say it which might be considered hateful, but someone stating a fact, uh, for that to be considered hateful or thisist or that phobic, then, yeah, we, we're in a bit of a situation in terms of how we categorize actual hatred. And it it also creates a condition where real like crimes like when someone is attacked or someone is violently abused or whatever, uh, like get sidelined because it's the old boy who cried wolf kind of phenomenon. People stop like believing in the power of a term because it has been so diluted and so used all the time on Twitter or on social media but it loses all its actual meaning, in a sense. Right. So <clears throat> what do you think about that?
0: About what specifically?
1: Just the, like, when something is described as transphobia or, or I don't know, like plenty of instances where things that, like, uh, I, I wouldn't consider racist... Uh, are described as racist or sexist or
0: racist oh. or whatever right um i don't know what scares me is that people can have their lives ruined and careers ruined because people accuse them of being whatever and once you carry that label um, yeah you know but that'll follow you around yeah, that that worries me. And there's there's also like the, the guilty by association kind of thing. It was I think it was a while back with um like Joe Rogan. He uh he you know, he gets every everyone on their podcast on his podcast and um I forget the name of it but but it was this um this lady who wrote this book about um transgender uh Abigail Schreier, yeah. Yeah, like conversion therapy and stuff like that.
1: Irreparable, yeah, the book.
0: Yeah, yeah. What's well, it called?
1: Well, yeah, it was. I think "irreparable damage" was the name of the book. Irreparable damage or irreversible damage. Um, yeah, it's about the, the the massive rise in cases of girls presenting to gender identity clinics now, like by the thousands, especially Jeez. in the US. I
0: think this is the one. Yeah. Yeah, and, you know, um, uh, Rogan got called a transphobe for even talking to her. And um, people were trying to get the um, episode pulled. Yeah, and, you know, Rogan doesn't have to care about it because he he works for himself. But I'm sure that there's a lot of people who have opinions about this kind of stuff who are afraid to even talk about it, you know? I think that's the, well, that's why I sort of,
1: wanted to start doing these songs basically to start in a different way, talk about certain issues that supposedly we're not allowed to talk about. Uh, I'm just going to talk about them and I'll try and be fair and reasonable and I'm willing to engage in any sort of conversations. A lot of my friends have always been like, I don't know, I wouldn't consider them like people who've swallowed this ideology, but nonetheless, like left left wing uh, but then I have mates across the spectrum so
0: what would they say <clears throat> what, what do they think of what you're uh, what you're saying are they, are they on board with the whole uh, stuff you're criticizing in the song or
1: some of them understand it where I'm coming from they might not agree with all my like, certain points um, but it's the inability to actually like discuss certain ideas now right without it receiving one of these sort of tags and one not. and it's become like a cliche now people saying um, oh you can't say anything blah 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 it's it's, it's a cliche because it's true and yeah, that's, that's companies dangerous and man
0: it's dangerous
1: precisely I think you need to be able to speak about um and even I don't know the tech companies like getting ref- uh some of these conspiracy theory types i I, I don't agree with that i'm I'm pretty like I, I believe, I believe strongly, free speech. That the, the way you solve issues, if there is an issue, is by presenting an idea or a problem, allowing it to. I mean, everyone from Chomsky to like, well, Chomsky was ultra in favor of free speech. Yeah, he could be considered on the left, like massively on the left throughout his entire life, still and still to this day. Um, the value of Speech is that someone uh, posits a a thesis, someone like puts a point across or makes a statement, they back it up with whatever evidence is available to them. Someone else, or another group, or whoever, meet them and try and point out the flaws in that thesis, they are the antithesis, um, and then this creates. Hopefully, through the back and forth, the the, the sort of uh, the jewel of ideas, some sort of solution or some sort of synthesis, some fusion. This is the idea of free speech. That's literally pretty much what it is. Um, but if you say this idea has been presented and anything, it can't be uh, discussed in any sort of way or the antithesis can't meet that initial thesis, you immediately create a situation where only one aspect is being heard. And this is where you create violent sort of reactions, which is all this sort of ultra right wing stuff here and there.
3: Right.
1: Um, and yeah. And then if people are in paths, um, you good luck kind of stopping them heading on that once you've Cut off the ability to really communicate in certain ways. Right. We um, see this with plenty of people like getting shelved on social media, deleted, or even a lot of these conspiracists are uh, chucked out and whatnot. So I don't know. There's, there's arguments either way, really, um, with regards how do you like these little bubbles do form and do produce sort of negative uh consequences or and whatnot. Right. I don't know. What what's your, what are your thoughts on that? Um I'm probably not saying it as clearly as I could.
0: No, I, I'm a very firm believer in free speech, you know. And because that's that's why that's where bad ideas get rooted out, you know? And uh um, yeah. and I'm 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 totally for people saying <laughs> whatever they want, as long as it's not inciting violence and not breaking any laws, you know? Um, Yeah. The the fact that they were, uh, that they're trying to, I read an article this week that um, uh, Jordan Peterson is uh, bringing out his next book next year. And Mm -hmm. apparently there was like a whole riot at the Penguin, the publisher of uh, employees crying and, <clears throat> they they wanted to to ban that book. They wanted to that book not to come out. And then I'm saying, well, my answer to that always is, well, if that book is so terrible, why don't you write another book to counter all the bad ideas in that book, or all the ideas that you disagree with? And you know, if if you are if you have truth and logic on your side, um, you will your um, your ideas will win, you know, mm. and I, th- I think that's that's the only way forward, really. And um, yeah, w- when speech is banned, that's always the, that's just I find it very creepy. I mean, um, I've, I listened to um, to the Howard Stern show in the nineteen nineties. You know, it was like this uh, shock jock radio show from the U.S. There's clips all over YouTube if you Google them. And he would have these insanely offensive bits, and and he would he would literally invite like KKK members and goof on them, and they would they would say all these insanely racist <laughs> things, and you know it was uh, and I don't think any of those and and at one point like I think like thirty mil he had an audience of like thirty more than thirty million every day, and I'm pretty convinced that no one got converted to the KKK. Because of him having a KKK guy on, you know? It was just mm. um absurdist comedy and basically if you wanna if you wanna people to figure out how bad an idea is, just put it out in the light and people can hear it and you know. And that guy came across as a complete racist piece of shit lunatic and because that's what he was. Yeah. And and that's why it was just kinda funny and wild because they invited that guy on you know and it's the same with uh, kind of the same with comedians making offensive jokes you know they're trying to silence comedians now people who make jokes I guess there's some things you can't Mm. absolutely make jokes about anymore now I was like well why not like people (coughs) get offended by it okay well you just don't listen to it
1: yeah you can't police uh yeah, and, and by like the way, that, that's Where an, people get offended.
0: That that's another interesting thing to mention. Like Howard Howard Stern's co host Robin Quivers and she was a black woman and you know she was and she was she was cool with having this guy in the studio because mm. by him saying his stuff and people anyone who listened to the show would come to the conclusion, any rational person anyway, would come to the conclusion well this guy is not you know
1: Pretty much. Yeah. Like this is the importance of free speech. It's not really done in like, well, it is done in favor of the people speaking, obviously, but at the same time, the people listening to two people speaking or an argument or a debate or whatever, a um, uh, the people make the mind up based on how someone presents an idea. If someone's presenting an idea genuinely, Racist or this or that or whatever, I, people pick up on that. And I think most people would be a bit, do you know what I mean, against all of that kind of stuff on a natural level. Yeah. Um, people have their tribal uh, sort of, uh, uh, like, their tribal, uh, what's the word? Like, uh, not identities, um, like dedications. I'm, I can't find the word, sorry. But yeah, um, allow people to speak in, in general, and I don't know. It, it, I hear a lot of stories online as well, especially considering. Like, I'm quite deeply involved in the whole uh, issue surrounding uh, transgender rights and and uh, feminist rights and all the rest of it. Well, women's rights and whatnot. A lot of the feminists on Twitter are quite sort of have their backs up about that. I think for good reason in many ways. So, um, I don't know how much you know about all that.
0: Well, I I know that there's some feminists out there who, who also got, um, vilified because they weren't like hardcore feminist enough, I guess.
1: I think there's lots of different, yeah. Uh, there always has been different movements in feminism. Um, I think the issues surrounding, um, Genderism has basically uh, created a new, a new movement, um, which acknowledges the difference between man and woman, and like on a biological level, but also in, in many other ways. And there's always like you could call it differential feminism. There's always been that strand of thought in it, but I think it's brought it more to the surface again now. Although, you'd probably have to ask one of them about it. they probably know more. Um, right. But, yeah.
0: Okay. <laughs> um, let's see. The rest of those uh, lyrics. Intersectionality is mentioned there, too. The, the sheer yeah, yeah. of intersectionality. What is internet? I don't go into
1: intersectionality. Um, yeah. It was a... Uh, well, an idea put forth by Kimberly Crenshaw in, I think it was 91, she published her first paper on it. Um, it was the idea, using like a crossroads sort of metaphor, an intersection, um, the idea that if someone has uh, multiple characteristics or two characteristics that sit them in a, in a sort of a, a more difficult position, so if someone is black and someone is a woman at the same time, like the discrimination that they face is, uh, is going to be different to someone who is uh, a white woman, for instance, or someone who is like a black man will experience discrimination differently to how a black woman experiences discrimination. So her idea was that though the black man might be on the receiving end of racist comments or jibes, etc. um, a black woman might be on the receiving end of not only the racist jibes, but also uh, sexist ideas. So the fundamental idea is, I'm, I'm, I mean, I think it's, there's truth to some extent in there. Now it's been stretched out into a whole doctrine, a whole wheel, which attempts to take into account every aspect of a person's sort of like characteristics that can be discriminated against. And on the video, I have that sort of wheel of, Uh, the wheel of fortune as it's sort of so it takes into account mental health gender wealth age all the types of discrimination that might meet someone at any point in their life and then
0: yeah there's how that wheel can have endless uh, and unlimited things on there and i think a lot of those things are also pretty arbitrary i mean
1: yeah, I agree. I think that's... I mean, Oprah Winfrey is a, is, is
0: a black woman, but, is she, you know, she, um, she seems men. to be doing pretty good, you know?
1: Yeah, yeah. The argument was would be that she'd face, like, they'd use the argument that um, she faces discrimination differently to how a white male in her position would, and she probably would receive more Um, um so th- this is the fundamental little core of intersectionality, this idea of intersecting discriminations and whatnot. Um, it's become, as I say in the song, a shibboleth now, like a sort of almost sacred religious-like value that has basically been imprinted pretty much everywhere. Um, shibboleth, that, uh, it's, it's,
0: that, I don't, I'm not familiar with that word, to be honest.
1: Yeah, it's like a a long... Because it's been the early nights now that um, a custom or traditionally a choice of phrasing a single word that distinguishes one group of people from another. So it's become this sort of... When people use intersectionality as their description of something that they subscribe to or believe in, it is, I don't know, like an identifying feature. And it's become almost... I don't know, sacred to them,
0: right.
1: in some way. So that's that. It, a lot of the, a lot of the lyrics in the song will be stretched out into kind of songs in their own right, where I sort of explain things a bit more. Um, I mean, you could go on for days. Some people might disagree with certain uh, takes I have on things or whatever, but
3: right.
1: <laughs> yeah. And then the willingness to dis, the, the shibboleth of intersectionality, a willingness to disrespect reality. The blockheaded gender fallacy in reference to, um, like, well, the concept of gender itself. Um, The obsession with sexuality, the extreme fixation on race, these themes dictated the faith. I think they're the three core things, gender, sexuality, race, this obsession that has sort of really gained prominence in the last 10 years.
0: And you, uh, I find it interesting that you use the word faith there. Like you, as if it's a religion, kind of.
1: I think I think it does have many religious elements, yeah. Um, that was, James Lindsay actually wrote a big long essay a few years ago on um, how, on all its sort of similarities to uh, religion. Um, I think after the financial crash, there was this perfect storm moment when... Um, A lot of the old atheist movement, the online atheist movement in the sort of 2000s, um, had destroyed religion, or they thought they had destroyed the arguments of religion so thoroughly um, in terms of just pure logic. Uh, This is what they thought, perhaps. then they, around about 2010, they started looking around, searching around for some sort of new religious framework. And it so happened that this, all this kind of stuff emerged. Um, so it took hold of many kind of influential figures in working at newspapers or working in the press or the media. It sounded good. It sounded compassionate. It sounded nice. It's cloaked in these robes of nice-sounding things
0: well that's that's the um. thing you know pe- people the uh, one argument that you hear a lot is um well why do you have a problem with the, this do you do you hate uh trans people do you are you a racist you know uh just be just be more compassionate you know it's uh it, it's a free country let these people do what they want and um if you disagree with this you're you're an evil person or if you if you have anything to say about it that's um anything other than then praise it, you, um, you know, you, you're dysphobic you're, um, or that-ist or, uh, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um,
1: and I think that's, uh, I can, like, it's the way, it's some of these, how these ideas have been applied now and how they've been adopted. Um, a lot of the ideas surrounding, well, we've already looked at uh, the trans- the trans stuff, um, some of the ideas surrounding race, uh, which spring from like critical race theory, uh, in the eighties. And what is, what in, is
0: critical race theory exactly?
1: Uh, critical race theory was a, a, a school of like, well, law that, um, like sprung out of, uh, I think it was Harvard during the mid eight, mid eighties. People such as Derek Bell were its progenitors, and um, I mean, its fundamental core idea is it was very much US-centric, U.S. centric, like, U.S. sort of it looked at the U.S. legal system. And it said that it's, it, it suggested that white supremacy, um, the idea that white supremacy is still encoded in U.S. law institutions, in the Constitution. And there's some, there's some aspects, no doubt, like throughout history where that's been the case. And it's irrefutable that black people in America have, do you know what I mean, had like horrors visited upon them in throughout history. Um, but the idea that this, uh, I don't know, this vague idea of white supremacy uh, exists within the institutions themselves still. And that even people, even if racism doesn't exist in people or is rare um the the structures and this the systemic aspects themselves are racist, are set up fundamentally um from motives or in history have been constructed for the purpose of something to be like racist. So it projects racism wherever it can find it. Or, or well onto everything pretty much. And then its doctrines have become extremely fashionable uh, for the last however long. We hear the term white privilege massively. Well, the term privilege from Latin privy and uh, which means private, mlege law, uh, like privilege refers to a law for private benefit or a law that's sort of instituted by the state um, and that people um, is backed by coercion in some sense. Anyway, so yeah. you, like the, well, critical race theory has found a lot of uh, sort of like currency recently and has, I don't know, found itself. Like a lot of people don't don't know where these terms come. They are, they have been coined by critical race theorists over the last 30 odd years. Um and whether or not these things are making things better, I w- I would say they're making things worse. Um and the the word usage frequencies that you see at the New York Times, that graph that I posted on Twitter, yeah. Um around about two thousand and ten you see all these phrases spike hugely, massively. Yeah, I got and here
0: then, uh, here in front of me. Like sexism, yeah. misogyny, sexist, patriarchy. It's, a, it's all a pretty flat line, but then it just uh, comes out of nowhere.
1: Around 2010, so this is before Trump, all of it. You look at all of it, like, yeah, racism just has a huge spike. Racist, racists, institutional racism, huge spike. systemic racism, whiteness, white privilege, white nationalism, white supremacy, KKK, and then all the stuff to do with gender, non-binary, gender, gender identity, transgender, gender neutral, et cetera, and so on and so forth. Implicit bias. Um, uh, yeah.
0: Fed shaming is another interesting one.
1: Yeah. So a lot of these things emerge. Um, I think like, like in that perfect storm moment where the, f- like we're in the aftermath of the financial crash. Capitalism seems to have failed. You've got the Occupy movement, Um, in the press you've got various other things going on Um, the atheist online movement which was one of the big movements in the sort of uh, in the 2000s is searching around for some new project to get its teeth into and all of this stuff I can't remember who said it but the great big shifts or crises that happen it depends on the ideas lying around all this stuff was the critical social justice theories were the ideas that were lying around. you come the cops again, to arrest us. Yeah, that's outside. <laughs> <laughs> or police, Can you hear that clearly? Or yeah, yeah. It sounds oh, pretty yeah. loud too, man. It is. Yeah, i no, I think it's. Just the uh, the road heading down there, but yeah. Sorry for the intrusion, but <coughs> but um, yeah. So
0: yeah, we got um, yeah, okay, yeah. So that's that's interesting. How um, how those subjects suddenly spike there. What what do you think is the main cause be- for that?
1: Um, I think. Like they, I mean, these ideas were uh, been around for a lot longer uh, than the last 10 years. Um, and many of them, I think, you've got to really look at the history of the left, uh, ultimately. Uh, I think after the collapse of the Soviet Union, um, Marxism massively fell out of fashion, uh, and this late sort of 80s period, um was when the left really altered course and instead of like holding class as its core concern as it did prior to that and throughout the 20th century, really um, suddenly all these identity issues sprang to the fore Uh, and you see it in the nineties and then these identity issues became like quite popular and gained favor. And then all the critical social justice ideas, that were based on some of this stuff um, sprang to prominence after, after the financial crash and were adopted by many of the mainstream, uh, I don't know, people who'd come out of universities and who went to work at companies, firms, and corporations, people who went to work for uh, papers like the New York Times or wherever. And slowly, this sort of, from it, how it looks to me, it looks like this sort of, into every everywhere basically a sort of idea that spread
0: have you ever considered yeah. uh, writing this kind of stuff in, in a book or something or is this the way you express your ideas and your
1: uh, uh yeah no i'm writing tons on tons and tons and documents i've got just reams of it the, the problem is a lot of it's all chaotic and all over the place at the moment i haven't sort of like streamlined it all the songs are attempt to roughly streamline like a topic into try and simplify it. Although this song was not that simple. And um, talking about that with my mate last night. Um, like the first song we did uh, was quite simplistic in its arguments. It just tried to boil it down to the core things. This is a bit more complex and the word use is a bit, yeah, a bit more going on. Um, but, like it's just kind of I don't know that's what art is I think really just sort of produce something see see how it is and then just keep building on it until you're sort of happy with it put it out and then try and simplify and make better or make more skillful or alter it a bit right um that's my approach anyway but
0: and you're gonna make uh 10, ten of these songs in total
1: maybe more I don't know but we the, our, our goal is very simple: ten, ten songs, ten lyric videos like this. All of the songs are sort of linked thematically around these sorts of issues. Um, and it's a, it's
0: a badass project, man.
1: Yeah, it's, we call it the, the "Culture War" project, inverted commas. Um, so uh, we've got, and then we'll we do we do other stuff as well. It's not all done. This isn't the only topic I talk about. But, yeah, so I just thought these issues are massive right now, uh, have, been, have been brought to sort of mainstream prominence, and no, I don't see anyone else talking about it. People just either go along with the sort of herd-like mentality or um, only people talking about it are like people on Twitter or the sort of intellectual types who discuss it on podcasts and whatnot. No one talks about it in a song. So right thought there might be a gap there. So we'll try and see what happens with it. Cool. But yeah.
0: Well, but yeah, I, I look forward to uh, discuss the rest of it. Um, so far, this will be very interesting.
1: Okay, cool. And uh, yeah, I hope I've not sort of bored you with. No, no, man. And not, about. not at
0: all. It, it's, uh, it was great. It was, uh, I've, I've really, really enjoyed this. Uh, like the, the only, only, Thing that I that that I didn't like is the the you know the connection problems every now and then. But that's you know that's just circumstances yeah. that we can't really help. I guess. Um, but the, I've, I've I feel, will. I'll, yeah, I've I've really really enjoyed the conversation, man.
1: Yeah, likewise, and um, uh, I'll give you a message tomorrow, and we'll set a day to just do the final bits if you want. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I'm actually writing a lot about. All the all the little bits at the moment, so you might see some stuff on Twitter pop up like in the next couple of days as well. So Okay. Yeah, I need to post a bit more on Twitter.
0: I'll be sure to keep an eye on it then. <clears throat>
1: yeah. cool. Uh, right, well uh yeah, I'll chat to you tomorrow then yeah.
0: Yes sir. Yeah. That's Okay, uh, cool. If, if, uh, if I added this together into one big thing it's gonna be uh, yeah, it's gonna be a big interesting one then.
1: So. Hopefully, yeah, and um, I think they'll be quite a lot of bitch, maybe cut out or whatever. But yeah, um, right, cool. I'll I'll speak to you. Uh, I'll speak to you tomorrow. Yeah, man. Yeah,
0: thanks for your time. Looking forward yeah, to it. Yeah, likewise,
1: next. man. Thank you for having me on as well. Uh, I appreciate it. I think this will be my first sort of ever podcast. I don't think I've, I've not. Yeah, I'm never chatting with my mates and whatnot. We've recorded it, but never actually been on a podcast so
0: well, yeah. i hope uh, i hope it'll be uh, one of many for you
1: perhaps yeah we'll see i would like to i would like to do it more I need to streamline what i think about things though but yeah thank you thank you very much and You're welcome um, and thank you yeah i'll chat to you later yes sir. There. see you all right cool yeah bye-bye bye-bye
0: but that was quite an interesting episode, wasn't it? Go to blog to find all the show notes and all the information regarding this episode. And be sure to find Francis on Twitter. That's Francis Aaron UK. You can find him there. And uh, also find him on YouTube. If you look for Francis Aaron, you will find him. That's spelled F-R-A-N-C-I-S-A-A-R-O-N. And uh, if you go to ddric.blog... Be sure to sign up for the newsletter and click the link to our sponsors to uh, help the show out and keep this pirate ship going. And that's it. First episode of the year. Thanks for listening, everybody. See you next time. Good seat.